This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Today's podcast is a reading of Call Him Nemesis by Donald E. Westlake. It's read by Chris Pyle for LibriVox. It runs 54 minutes, and we will be discussing it afterward. Call Him Nemesis by Donald E. Westlake. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chris Pyle. Call Him Nemesis by Donald E. Westlake. The man with the handkerchief mask said, All right, everybody, keep tight. This is a hold-up. There were twelve people in the bank. There was Mr. Featherhall at his desk, refusing to okay a personal check from a perfect stranger. There was the perfect stranger, an itinerant garage mechanic named Rodney Rod Strom, like the check said. There were Miss English and Miss Filikoff, the girls in the gilded teller cages. There was Mr. Anderson, the guard, dozing by the door in his brown uniform. There was Mrs. Elizabeth Clayhorn, depositing her husband's paycheck in their joint checking account, and with her was her ten-year-old son, Edward Eddie Clayhorn, Jr. There was Charlie Casal, getting ten dollars dimes, six dollars nickels, and four dollars pennies for his father in the grocery store down the street. There was Mrs. Dolly Daniels, withdrawing money from her savings account again, and there were the three bank robbers. The three bank robbers looked like triplets. From the ground up, they all wore scuffy black shoes, baggy-kneed and unpressed khaki trousers, brown cracked leather jackets over flannel shirts, white handkerchiefs over the lower half of their faces, and gray and white check caps pulled low over their eyes. The eyes themselves looked dangerous. The man who had spoken withdrew a small but mean-looking thirty-two caliber pistol from his jacket pocket. He waved it menacingly. One of the others took the pistol away from Mr. Anderson, the guard, and said to him in a low voice, Think about retirement, my friend. The third one, who carried a black satchel like a doctor's bag, walked quickly around behind the teller's counter and started filling it with money. It was just like the movies. The man who had first spoken herded the tellers, Mr. Featherhall, and the customers all over against the back wall, while the second man stayed next to Mr. Anderson and the door. The third man stuffed money into the black satchel. The man by the door said, hurry up. The man with the satchel said, one more drawer. The man with the gun turned to say to the man at the door, keep your shirt on. That was all Miss English needed. She kicked off her shoes and ran pelting in her stocking feet for the door. The man by the door spread his arms out and shouted, hey. The man with the gun swung violently back, cursing, and fired the gun. But he had been moving too fast, and so had Miss English and all he hit was the brass plate on Mr. Featherhall's desk. The man by the door caught Miss English in a bear hug. She promptly did her best to scratch his eyes out. Meanwhile, Mr. Anderson went scooting out the front door and running down the street toward the police station in the next block, shouting, Help! Help! Robbery! The man with the gun cursed some more. The man with the satchel came running around from behind the counter, and the man by the door tried to keep Miss English from scratching his eyes out. Then the man with the gun hit Miss English on the head. She fell unconscious to the floor, and all three of them ran out of the bank to the car out front, in which sat a very nervous-looking fourth man gunning the engine. Everyone except Miss English, 
ran out after the bandits, to watch. Things got very fast and very confused then. Two police cars came driving down the block and a half from the precinct house to the bank, and the car with the four robbers in it lurched away from the curb and drove straight down the street toward the police station. The police cars and the getaway car passed one another, with everybody shooting like the ships in pirate movies. There was so much confusion that it looked as though the bank robbers were going to get away after all. The police cars were aiming the wrong way, and as they'd come down with sirens wailing, there was a clear path behind them. Then, after the getaway car had gone more than two blocks, it suddenly started jouncing around. It smacked into a parked car and stopped, and all the police went running down there to clap handcuffs on the robbers when they crawled dazedly out of their car. Hey, said Eddie Clayhorn, ten years old. Hey, that was something, huh, Mom? Come along home, said his mother, grabbing his hand. We don't want to be involved. It was the nuttiest thing, said Detective Sergeant Stevenson. An operation planned that well, you'd think they'd pay attention to their getaway car, you know what I mean? Detective Sergeant Pauling shrugged. They always slip up, he said. Sooner or later, on some minor detail, they always slip up. Yes, but they're tires. Well, said Pauling, it was a stolen car. I suppose they just grabbed whatever was handiest. What I can't figure out, said Stevenson, is exactly what made those tires do that. I mean, it was a hot day and all, but it wasn't that hot. And they weren't going that fast. I don't think you could go fast enough to melt your tires down. Pauling shrugged again. We got them. That's the important thing. Still in all, it's nutty. They're free and clear, barreling out Rockaway toward the belt. And all at once, their tires melt. The tubes blow out, and there they are. Stevenson shook his head. I can't figure it. Don't look a gift horse in the mouth, suggested Pauling. They picked the wrong car to steal. And that doesn't make sense either, said Stevenson. Why steal a car that could be identified as easily as that one? Why, what was it, a foreign make? No, it was a Chevy, two-tone, three years old, looked just like half the cars on the streets, except that in the trunk lid the owner had burned in the Scorpion in big black letters. You could see half a block away. Maybe they didn't notice it when they stole the car, said Pauling. For a well-planned operation like this one, said Stevenson. They made a couple of really idiotic boners. It doesn't make any sense. What do they have to say about it, Pauling demanded. Nothing. What do you expect? They'll make no statement at all. The squad room door opened, and a uniformed policeman stuck his head in. The owner of that Chevy's here, he said. Right, said Stevenson. He followed the patrolman down the hall to the front desk. The owner of the Chevy was an angry-looking man of middle age, tall and punchy. John Hastings, he said. They say you have my car here. I believe so, yes, said Stevenson. I'm afraid it's in pretty bad shape. So I was told over the phone, said Hastings grimly. I've contacted my insurance company. Good. The car is in the police garage around the corner, if you'd come with me. On the way around, Stevenson said, I believe you reported the car stolen almost immediately after it happened. That's right, said Hastings. I stepped into a bar on my route. I'm a wine and liquor salesman. When I came out five minutes later, my car was gone. You left the keys in it? Well, why not? demanded Hastings belligerently. If I'm making just a quick stop, I never spend more than five minutes with any one customer. I always leave the keys in the car. Why not? The car was stolen, Stevenson reminded him. 
Hastings grumbled and glared. It's always been perfectly safe up till now. Yes, sir, in here. Hastings took one look at his car and hit the ceiling. It's ruined, he cried. What did you do to the tires? Not a thing, sir. That happened to them in the holdup. Hastings leaned down over one of the front tires. Look at that. There's melted rubber all over the rims. These rims are ruined. What did you use, incendiary bullets? Stevenson shook his head. No, sir. When that happened, they were two blocks away from the nearest policeman. Huh. Hastings moved on around the car, stopping short to exclaim, What in the name of God is that? You didn't tell me a bunch of kids had stolen the car. It wasn't a bunch of kids, Stevenson told him. It was four professional criminals. I thought you knew that. They were using it in a bank holdup. Then why did they do that? Stevenson followed Hastings' pointing finger and saw again the crudely lettered words, the scorpion, burned black into the paint of the trunk lid. I really don't know, he said. It wasn't there before the car was stolen? Of course not. Stevenson frowned. Now why in the world did they do that? I suggest, said Hastings with heavy sarcasm, you ask them that. Stevenson shook his head. It wouldn't do any good. They aren't talking about anything. I don't suppose they'll ever tell us. He looked at the trunk lid again. It's the nuttiest thing, he said thoughtfully. That was on Wednesday. The Friday afternoon mail delivery to the Daily News brought a crank letter. It was in the crank letter's most obvious form. That is, the address had been clipped, a letter or word at a time, from a newspaper and glued to the envelope. There was no return address. The letter itself was in the same format. It was brief and to the point. Dear Mr. Editor, the scorpion has struck. The bank robbers were captured. The scorpion fights crime. Crooks and robbers are not safe from the avenging scorpion. Warn your readers. Sincerely yours, the scorpion. The warning was duly noted, and the letter filed in the wastebasket. It didn't rate a line in the paper. The bank robbery occurred in late June. Early in August, a Brooklyn man went berserk. It happened in Canarsie, a section in southeast Brooklyn, near Jamaica Bay. This particular area of Canarsie was a residential neighborhood composed of one or two family houses. The man who went berserk was a motor vehicle bureau clerk named Jerome Higgins. Two days before, he had flunked a civil service examination for the third time. He reported himself sick and spent the two days at home, brooding, a bottle of blended whiskey at all times in his hand. As the police reconstructed it later, Mrs. Higgins had attempted to awaken him on the third morning at 7.30, suggesting that he really ought to stop being so foolish and go back to work. He then allegedly poked her in the eye and locked her out of the bedroom. Mrs. Higgins then apparently called her sister-in-law, a Mrs. Thelma Stodbetter, who was Mr. Higgins' sister. Mrs. Stodbetter arrived at the house at nine o'clock and spent some time tapping at the still-locked bedroom door, apparently requesting Mr. Higgins to unlock the door and stop acting like a child. Neighbors reported to the police that they heard Mr. Higgins shout a number of times, Go away, can't you let a man sleep? At about 10.15, neighbors heard shots from the Higgins residence, a two-story, one-family pink stucco affair, in the middle of a block of similar homes. Mr. Higgins, it was learned later, had suddenly erupted from his bedroom, brandishing a 30-30 hunting rifle, and being annoyed at the shrieks of his wife and sister, had fired seven shells at them, killing his wife on the spot and wounding his sister in the hand and shoulder. 
Mrs. Stodbetter, wounded and scared out of her wits, raced screaming out the front door of the house, crying for the police and shouting, Murder! Murder! At this point the neighbors called the police. One neighbor additionally phoned three newspapers and two television stations, thereby earning $40 in news tip rewards. By chance, a mobile television unit was, at that moment, on the Belt Parkway, returning from having seen off a prime minister at Idlewild Airport. The unit was at once diverted to Canarsie, where it took up a position across the street from the scene of carnage, and went to work with the Zumar lens. In the meantime, Mr. Higgins had barricaded himself in his house, firing at anything that moved. The two cameramen in the mobile unit worked their hearts out. One concentrated on the movements of the police and firemen and neighbors and ambulance attendants, while the other used the Zumar lens to search for Mr. Higgins. He found him occasionally, offering the at-home audience brief glimpses of a stocky balding man in brown trousers and undershirt, stalking from window to window on the second floor of the house. The show lasted for nearly an hour. There were policemen everywhere and firemen everywhere and neighbors milling around down at the corner where the police had roped the block off. And occasionally Mr. Higgins would stick his rifle out a window and shoot at somebody. The police used loudspeakers to tell Higgins he might as well give up. They had the place surrounded and could eventually starve him out anyway. Higgins used his own good lungs to shout obscenities back and challenge anyone present to hand-to-hand combat. The police fired tear gas shells at the house. But it was a windy day, and all the windows in the Higgins house were either open or broken. Higgins was able to throw all the shells back out of the house again. The show lasted for nearly an hour. Then it ended, suddenly and dramatically. Higgins had showed himself to the Zumar lens again for the purpose of shooting either the camera or its operator. All at once he yelped and threw the rifle away. The rifle bounced onto the porch roof, slithered down to the edge, hung for a second against the drain, and finally fell barrel first onto the lawn. Meanwhile, Higgins was running through the house, shouting like a wounded bull. He thundered down the stairs and out, hollering, to fall into the arms of the waiting police. They had trouble holding him. At first they thought he was actually trying to get away, and then one of them heard what it was he was shouting, My hands! My hands! They looked at his hands. The palms and the palm side of the fingers were red and blistering from what looked like severe burns. There was another burn on his right cheek and another one on his right shoulder. Higgins, thoroughly chastened and bewildered, was led away for burn ointment in jail. The television crew went on back to Manhattan. The neighbors went home and telephoned their friends. On-duty policemen had been called in from practically all of the precincts in Brooklyn. Among them was Detective Sergeant William Stevenson. Stevenson frowned thoughtfully at Higgins, as that unhappy individual was led away and then strolled over to look at the rifle. He touched the stock. It was somewhat warm, but that was all. He picked it up and turned it around. There, on the other side of the stock, burned into the wood, were the crudely shaped letters, the Scorpion. You don't get to be precinct captain on nothing but political connections. Those help, of course, but you need more than that. As Captain Hanks was fond of pointing out, you need it as well to be both more imaginative than most. You got to be able to second-guess the smart boys, and to be a complete realist. You got to have both feet on the ground. If these were somewhat contradictory qualities, it was best not to mention the fact to Captain Hanks. The realist side of the captain's nature was currently at the fore. That's what you're trying to say, Stevenson, he demanded. I'm not sure, admitted Stevenson. We've got these two things. First, there's the getaway car from that bank job. The wheels melt for no reason at all, and somebody burns the scorpion onto the trunk. Then yesterday, this guy Higgins out in Canarsie. He says the rifle all of a sudden got too hot to hold, and he's got the burn marks to prove it. 
and there on the rifle stock, it is again, the scorpion. He says he put that on there himself, said the captain. Stevenson shook his head. His lawyer says he put it on there. Higgins says he doesn't remember doing it. That's half the lawyer's case. He's trying to build up an insanity defense. He put it on there himself, Stevenson, said the captain with weary patience. What are you trying to prove? I don't know. All I know is it's the nuttiest thing I ever saw. And what about the getaway car? What about those tires melting? They were defective, said Hanks promptly. All four of them at once? And what about the thing written on the trunk? How do I know? demanded the captain. Kids put it on the car before it was stolen, maybe. Or maybe the hoods did it themselves. Who knows? What do they say? They say they didn't do it, said Stevenson. And they say they never saw it before the robbery, and they would have noticed it if it had been there. The captain shook his head. I don't get it, he admitted. What are you trying to prove? I guess, said Stevenson slowly, thinking it out as he went along. I guess I'm trying to prove that somebody melted those tires and made that rifle too hot and left his signature behind. What? You mean like in the comic books? Come on, Stevenson. What are you trying to hand me? All I know, insisted Stevenson, is what I see. And all I know, the captain told him, is Higgins put that name on his rifle himself. He says so. And what made it so hot? Hell, man, had been firing that thing at people for an hour. What do you think made it hot? All of a sudden? He noticed it all of a sudden when it started to burn him. How come the same name showed up each time then? Stevenson asked desperately. How should I know? You know as well as I do these things happen. Bunch of teenagers burgle a liquor store and they write the Golden Avengers on the plate glass and lipstick. It happens all the time. Why not the Scorpion? It couldn't occur to two people. But there's no explanation, started Stevenson. What do you mean there's no explanation? I just gave you the explanation. Look, Stevenson, I'm a busy man. You got a nutty idea, like Wilcox a few years ago. Remember him? Got that idea there was a fiend around loose stuffing all those kids into abandoned refrigerators to starve. He went around trying to prove it and getting all upset, and pretty soon they had to put him away in the nut hatch. Remember? I remember, said Stevenson. Forget this silly stuff, Stevenson, the captain advised him. Yes, sir, said Stevenson. The day after Jerome Higgins went berserk, the afternoon mail brought a crank letter to the Daily News. Dear Mr. Editor, you did not warn your readers. The man who shot all those people could not escape the scorpion. The scorpion fights crime. No criminal is safe from the scorpion. Warn your readers. Sincerely yours, the scorpion. Unfortunately, this letter was not read by the same individual who had seen the first one two months before. At any rate, it was filed in the same place and forgotten. Halloween is a good time for a rumble. There's too many kids around for the cops to keep track of all of them, and if you're picked up carrying a knife or a length of tire chain or something, why, you're on your way to a Halloween party and you're in costume. You're going as a J.D. The problem was this schoolyard. It was a block wide with entrances on two streets. The street on the north was Challenger territory, and the street on the south was Scarlet Raider territory, and both sides claimed the schoolyard. There had been a few skirmishes, a few guys from both gangs had been jumped and knocked around a little, but that had been all. Finally the warlords from the two gangs had met and determined that the matter could only be settled in a war. The time was chosen, Halloween. The place was chosen, the schoolyard. The weapons were chosen, pocket knives and tire chains, okay, 
but no pistols or zip guns. The time was fixed, 11 p.m., and the winner would have undisputed territorial rights to the schoolyard, both entrances. The night of the rumble, the gangs assembled in their separate club rooms for last-minute instructions. Debs were sent out to play chicken at the intersections nearest the schoolyard, both to warn of the approach of cops and to keep out any non-combatant kids who might come wandering through. Judy Canzanetti was a Deb with the Scarlet Raiders. She was 15 years old, short and black-haired, and pretty in a movie magazine gum-chewing sort of way. She was proud of being in the auxiliary of the Scarlet Raiders and proud also of the job that had been assigned to her. She was to stand chicken on the southwest corner of the street. Judy took up her position at five minutes to eleven. The streets were dark and quiet. Few people cared to walk this neighborhood after dark, particularly on Halloween. Judy leaned her back against the telephone pole on the corner, stuck her hands in the pockets of her Scarlet Raider jacket and waited. At eleven o'clock she heard indistinct noises begin behind her. The rumble had started. At five after eleven, a bunch of little kids came wandering down the street. They were all about ten or eleven years old, and most of them carried trick-or-treat shopping bags. Some of them had Halloween masks on. They started to make the turn toward the schoolyard. Judy said, Hey, you kids, take off. One of them, wearing a red mask, turned to look at her. Who, us? Yes, you. Stay out of that street. Go on down that way. The subway's this way, objected the kid in the red mask. Who cares? You go around the other way. Listen, lady, said the kid in the red mask, aggrieved. We've got a long way to go to get home. Yeah, said another kid in a black mask. And we're late as it is. I couldn't care less, Judy told them callously. You can't go down that street. Why not, demanded yet another kid. This one was in the most complete and elaborate costume of them all, black leotards and a yellow shirt and a flowing black cape. He wore a black and gold mask and had a black knit cap jammed down tight onto his head. Why can't we go down there? this apparition demanded. "'Because I said so,' Judy told him. "'Now you kids get away from here. Take off.' "'Hey!' cried the kid in the black and yellow costume. "'Hey, they're fighting down there.' "'It's a rumble,' said Judy proudly. "'You twerps don't want to be involved.' "'Hey!' cried the kid in the black and yellow costume again, and he went running around Judy and dashing off down the street. "'Hey, Eddie!' shouted one of the other kids. "'Eddie, come back!' Judy wasn't sure what to do next. If she abandoned her post to chase the one kid who'd gotten through, then maybe all the rest of them would come running along after her. She didn't know what to do. A sudden siren and a distant flashing red light solved her problems. Cheese, says one of the kids. The cops. Fuzz, screamed Judy. She turned and raced down the block toward the schoolyard, shouting, Fuzz! Fuzz! Clear out, it's the fuzz! But then she stopped, wide-eyed, when she saw what was going on in the schoolyard. The guys from both gangs were dancing. They were jumping around, waving their arms, throwing their weapons away. Then they all started pulling off their gang jackets and throwing them away. Whooping and hollering. They were making such a racket themselves that they never heard Judy's warning. They didn't even hear the police sirens, and all at once both schoolyard entrances were full of cops. A cop had tight hold of Judy, and the rumble was over. Judy was so baffled and terrified that everything was just one great big blur. But in the middle of it all, she did see the little kid in the yellow and black costume go scooting away down the street. And she had the craziest idea that it was all his fault. Captain Hanks was still in his realistic cycle this morning, and he was impatient as well. All right, Stevenson, he said. Make it fast. I got a lot to do this morning. And I hope it isn't this comic book thing of yours again. 
I'm afraid it is, Captain, said Stevenson. Did you see the morning paper? So what? Did you see that thing about the gang fight up in Manhattan? Captain Hank sighed. Stevenson, he said wearily, are you going to try to connect every single time the word scorpion comes up? What's the problem with this one? Those kid gangs have names, so what? Neither of them was called the Scorpions, Stephen told him. One of them was the Scarlet Raiders, and the other gang was the Challengers. So they changed their name, said Hanks. Both games, simultaneously, to the same name. Why not? Maybe that's what they were fighting over. It was a territorial war, Stevens reminded him. They've admitted that much. It says so in the paper. And it also says they all deny ever seeing that word on their jackets until after the fight. Bunch of juvenile delinquents, said Hanks in disgust. You take their word? Captain, did you read the article in the paper? I glanced through it. All right. Here's what they say happened. They say they started fighting 11 o'clock. And they just got going when all at once, all the metal they were carrying, knives and tire chains and coins and belt buckles and everything else got freezing cold, too cold to touch. And then their leather jackets got freezing cold, so cold they had to pull them off and throw them away. And when the jackets were later collected, across the name of the gang on the back of each one had been branded the Scorpion. Now let me tell you something, said Hank severely. They heard the police sirens, and they threw all their weapons away. Then they threw their jackets away to try to make believe they hadn't been part of the gang that had been fighting. But they were caught before they could get out of the schoolyard. If the squad cars had showed up a minute later, the schoolyard wouldn't have had anything in it but weapons and jackets, and the kids would have been all over the neighborhood, nice as you please, minding their own business and not bothering anybody. That's what happened. And all this talk about freezing cold and branding names into jackets is just some smart aleck punk's idea of a way to razz the police. Now, you just go back to worrying about what's happening in this precinct, and forget about kid gangs up in Manhattan and comic book things like the Scorpion, or you're going to wind up like Wilcox with that refrigerator business. And I don't want to hear any more about this nonsense, Stevenson. Yes, sir, said Stevenson. The reporter showed up two days later. He was ushered into the squad room where he showed his press card to Stevenson, smiled amiably, and said, My editor sent me out on a wild goose chase. Would you mind chatting with me a couple minutes? Not at all, said Stevenson. The reporter, whose press card gave his name as Tom Roberts, settled himself comfortably in the chair beside Stevenson's desk. You were the one handled that bank job down the street back in June, weren't you? Stevenson nodded. Roberts gave an embarrassed chuckle and said, Okay. I've got just one question. You answer no, and then we can talk about football or something. I mean, this is just a silly, wild goose chase, frankly. I'm a little embarrassed about it. Go ahead and ask, Stevenson told him. Okay, I will. Was there the word scorpion connected with that bank job at all? In any way at all? Stevenson looked at the reporter and smiled. He said, as a matter of fact, Mr. Roberts, there was. Roberts blinked. There was? Yes, indeedy. There certainly was, and Stevenson told him the full story of the bank job. I see, said Roberts dazedly, when Stevenson was finished. I see, or I don't see. I don't see it at all. Your turn, Stevenson told him. Now tell me what made you ask that. This, said Roberts. He reached into the inside pocket of his sport jacket and withdrew a business-sized envelope which he handed over to Stevenson. It was another crank letter, in the same newspaper clipping form as the first two. It read, Dear Mr. Editor, 
the bad boys were captured. They could not escape the scorpion. I left the mark of the scorpion on their jackets. Criminals fear the mark of the scorpion. They cannot escape. This is my third letter to you. You should warn all criminals to leave the city. They cannot escape the scorpion. Warn your readers. Sincerely yours, the scorpion. Stevenson read the letter. Well, well, he says. He says that's the third letter, Roberts pointed out. We asked around the office and we found out who got the first two. They were both backaways. The first one was early in the summer, and the guy who read it remembered it said something about a bank robbery. Sorry I was sent out this morning to check up on bank robberies in June and July, or the third one I've talked to this morning. The first two figured me for some kind of nut. My captain figures me the same way, Stevenson told him. What about the second letter? Oh, wait, don't tell me. I'll tell you. It's the guy in August, the one who ran amuck over in Canarsie. Right you are, said Roberts. How did you know? I was there. He left his mark on the rifle stock. Okay, said Roberts, so there's something in it after all. There's something in it, said Stevenson. The question is what? Well, said Roberts, what have we got so far? Somebody call it person or persons unknown for the fun of it. He's stepping in every once in a while when there's a crime being committed. He stops it. He calls himself the Scorpion. And he uses some pretty dizzy methods. He melts automobile tires, makes a rifle too hot to hold, makes knives and leather jackets ice cold. How in the heck does he do things like that? Yeah, said Stevenson, and just incidentally, who is he? Well, said Roberts, he's a kid. That much is obvious. The whole letter sounds like a kid, talking about the bad boys and stuff like that. What do you figure, some scientist kid, maybe? Maybe, said Roberts. His old man is working on something in his little old laboratory in the cellar, and every once in a while the kid sneaks in and makes off with a ray gun or whatever it is. Roberts laughed. I feel silly even talking about it, he said. I feel silly too, Stevenson told him, if I hadn't seen what this kid can do. Can you work anything out from the timing, Roberts asked him. He seems to show up every couple of months. Let me check. Stevenson went over to the filing cabinet and looked up the dates. The bank job, he said, was on Wednesday, June 29th, at 11 o'clock in the morning. That Higgins guy was on. Here it is, Friday, August 5th, around noon. And this last one was on Halloween, Monday, October 31st, at 11 o'clock at night. If you can see a pattern in there, Roberts told him, you're a better man than I am. Well, the first two, Stevenson said, were in the daytime, during the summer, when school was out. That's all I can figure. Why just those three, Roberts asked. If he's out to fight crime, he's pretty inefficient about it. He's only gone to work three times in four months. Well, he's a kid, said Stevenson. I suppose he has to wait until he stumbles across something. And then rush home for Daddy's ray gun. Stevenson shook his head. It beats me. The only one that makes sense is the second one. That one was televised. He probably saw it that way. The other two times he just happened to be around. I don't know, said Roberts. Does a kid happen to be around twice in four months when there's crimes being committed? Now, the Halloween thing. I can see that. A kid is liable to be out wandering around, maybe go off to a strange neighborhood after he's done with his trick-or-treat stuff. Halloween is a good time for a kid to see some other kids breaking a law. And the thing in Canarsie, like you say, he probably saw that on television. But what about the bank job? That was the first, said Stevenson thoughtfully. That was what set him off. He was there at the time, just by accident. And he saw they were getting away, so he zapped them. And right away he put the drama into it. Right on the spur of the moment, he decided to be the scorpion. Then he sent the letter to your paper. 
but nothing else happened, and the paper didn't print anything about his letter or what he'd done, and he kind of forgot about it, until he was watching television and saw the Higgins thing. Pow! The scorpion rides again. And then it died down again, until a couple nights ago he saw the rumble, and pow! all over again. What you're saying, Roberts told him, is that this kid wanders around with Daddy's zap gun all the time. That doesn't seem very likely. Face it, said Stevenson. Daddy's zap gun isn't the likeliest thing I ever heard of either. I don't know how the kid does this. For that matter, it's only an educated guess that it's a kid we're after. Okay, said Roberts. So what do we do now? Now, said Stevenson, I think we talk to the captain. And then I have a feeling we'll be talking to the FBI. Judy Canzanetti was a frightened girl. First there had been that crazy thing in the schoolyard, and then being dragged in by the police, and then being chewed out by Mom, and now here she was being dragged in by the police again for absolutely nothing at all. They were all there in the big empty room like a gymnasium in the police station, the guys and devs from both gangs all milling around and confused, and the cops were taking all the kids out one at a time and questioning them. When the cop pointed at her and said, "'Okay, you're next,' Judy almost broke into tears." This wasn't like anything she knew or anything she could have expected. This wasn't like after the rumble with the guys wisecracking the cops and nothing to worry about but a chewing out from Mom. This was scary. They were taking people out one at a time to question them, and nobody was coming back into the room. And who knew what happened to you when it was your turn? Come on, said the cop. Step along. She stepped along, numb and miserable. There were four men in the room to which she was led. They were sitting behind a long table, with notebooks and pencils and ashtrays on the table. In front of them was a straight-backed, armless chair. The cops set her down in the chair and left the room. One of the men said, "'Your name is Judy Canzanetti, is that right?' "'Yes, sir,' it came out in a whisper. She cleared her throat and tried again. "'Yes, sir.' "'You don't have to be frightened, Judy,' said the man. "'You aren't going to be accused of anything. My name is Marshall, Stephen Marshall. The gentleman on my right is Stuart Lang. We're with the FBI.' That gentleman there is Mr. Stevenson, and he's a detective from Brooklyn. And that there is Mr. Roberts, and he's a reporter. We all simply want to ask you one or two questions, all right? The man was obviously trying to calm her down, make her relax. And he succeeded to some extent. Judy said, yes, sir. In a small voice, and nodded, no longer quite so frightened. None of the four men were particularly frightening in appearance. The two FBI men were long and lean, with bleak, bony faces like cowboys, the detective was a short, worried-looking man with a paunch and thinning black hair, and the reporter was a cheerful, round-faced man in a loud sport coat and a bow tie. Now, said Marshall, you were present at the time of the gang fight on Halloween, is that right? Yes, sir. Well, no, sir. Not exactly. I was down at the corner. Mr. Marshall smiled briefly. On lookout, he asked. Yes, sir. I see. And do you remember seeing anyone present at all aside from the boys and the two gangs and the police? No, sir. That is, except a bunch of little kids. They came along just before the um, the police. A bunch of little kids. The detective named Stevenson said urgently, Did you recognize any of them? No, sir. They weren't from around the neighborhood. Marshall said, You never seen them before? No, sir. They were just a bunch of little kids. Grade school kids. They were out with costumes on and everything, playing trick-or-treat. Did they go near the schoolyard at all? No, sir, except for one of them. You see, I was supposed to keep people away, tell them to go around the other way. And these kids came along. I told them to go around the other way. But they said they had to get to the subway. The subway? echoed Stevenson. 
Yes, sir, they said they were out too late anyway, and it was a long way to go to get home. The man named Marshall said, You said one of them did go down by the schoolyard. Yes, sir, I told them all. I told them all to go around the other way, and the one kid said, Hey, they're fighting, or something like that, and he ran down the street. I tried to stop him, but he got away from me. And then what happened? asked Stevenson. Then I saw the fuzz, the police, coming. I ran down to warn everybody, and all the guys were jumping around throwing their coats away. And the little boy? I didn't see him at all anymore, except after the police came. I saw him running around the corner. What did the boy look like? Stevenson asked. Gee, I don't know, sir. You don't know? No, sir, he was in his Halloween costume. The four men looked at one another. A costume, said the one named Roberts, the reporter. My God, a costume. Yes, sir, said Judy. It was all black and gold, tight black pants and a yellow shirt and a black cape and a funny kind of mask that covered his face, black and gold, and a kind of cap like maybe a skull cap on his head, black, only it was knit, like the sailors wear in the Merchant Marine. Black and gold, said Roberts. He seemed awed by something. So you can't identify this boy at all, said Stevenson forlornly. One of the other kids called him Eddie, he said, suddenly remembering. They spent fifteen minutes more with her, going over the same ground again and again, but she just didn't have any more to tell them, and finally they let her go. Mr. Featherhall and Miss English were distant but courteous. It was, after all, banking hours. On the other hand, these four men were police and FBI on official business. It has been a rather long time, Featherhall objected gently, well over four months. It seemed to me, said Miss English, that the police took the names of all the people who'd been here at the time of the robbery. There may have been other people present, suggested Marshall, who left before the confusion was over. There are any number of people in the world who like to avoid being involved in things like this. I can certainly appreciate their position, said Miss English, reminiscently touching her fingertips to her head. Miss English was very brave, Featherhall told the police. She created the diversion that spoiled their plans. Yes, we know, said Marshall. We've heard about what you did, Miss English. To tell the truth, she said primly, I was most concerned about the boy. To be exposed to something like that had his tender... Boy, interrupted Stevenson rudely. Did you say boy? Well, yes, said Miss English. There was a little boy in here at the time with his mother. Didn't you know? No, we didn't, said Marshall. Could you describe the boy? Well, he was, well, not more than ten years old, if that. And he, well, it has been a long time, as Mr. Featherhall said... He was just a child, a normal average child. Not exactly average, said Stevenson cryptically. You said he was in here with his mother, said Marshall. That's right. I've seen her in here a number of times. Yes, of course, said Marshall. Has she been here since the robbery, asked Stevenson. Yes, I believe she has. So that you would recognize her if you saw her again. Yes, I would. I'm sure I would. She almost always comes in with the boy. Oh, no, she doesn't. Not anymore. Not since school started. But she did all summer. She comes in often, then. I believe so, said Miss English. Fairly often. Marshall produced a small card, which he handed to Miss English. The next time she comes in, he said, we'd appreciate it if you'd call us at that number. Ask for me, Mr. Marshall. I will, said Miss English. I surely will. The four of them sat talking in Marshall's office. Tom Roberts had his shoes off, his feet on the windowsill, his spine curved into a chair, and a cigarette dangling from the corner of his mouth. He had one eye closed and was sighting between his socked feet at the building across the way. 
The thing that bothers me, he said, the cigarette waggling in his mouth, is just that I'm sure, as I can be, that I'll never get to write a word of this story. You gimlet-eyed types will clamp down on this kid, and that'll be the end of it. Security by George. National defense. I wonder whatever happened to the freedom of the press. The press overworked it, Marshall told him. The thing is, said Lang, whatever weapon or machine this boy is using, it's something that the government knows absolutely nothing about. We've sent up a report on the effects of this thing, whatever it is, and there's been the damnedest complete survey of current government research projects you can imagine. There is nothing at all like it, even on the drawing boards. Whatever the boy is using, said Marshall, and wherever he got it from, it isn't a part of the government's arsenal of weapons. Which it has to be, Lang added. Can you imagine a weapon that selectively increases or decreases the temperature of any particular object, or any specific part of an object, from a distance? I wouldn't like to be sitting on a stockpile of hydrogen warheads with somebody aiming that weapon at me. He simply presses the hot button and bluey. You see a jet bomber coming, said Marshall. You point the weapon, press the cold button, and flame out. That pilot bought the farm. What I'd like to know, said Lang, is where he got his hands on this thing in the first place. Not only is there no machine or weapon we know of which can do this sort of thing, but our tame experts assure us that no such machine or weapon is possible. Great, said Stevenson. We're looking for a ten-year-old kid armed with a weapon that no adult in the country could even imagine as possible. The phone rang at that point, and for a second no one moved. They all sat and looked at the jangling phone. And then Marshall and Lang moved simultaneously, but it was Marshall who answered. Marshall here. The others watched him, heard him say, Yes, Miss English, right. Reach forward on the desk for pad and pencil. Right, got it. You're sure that's the one? Right. Thank you very much. Marshall cradled the phone and looked at the others. The woman came in. Her name is Mrs. Albert J. Clayhorn, and she lives on Newkirk Avenue. Miss English said the number would be near East 17th. Five blocks from the bank, said Stevenson. And about eighty blocks from Higgins' house, said Roberts. That's why it took him so long to go to work that time. He saw what was happening on television, grabbed his weapon and his trusty bike, and went riding out to Canarsie. The scorpion rides again. Marshall looked at his watch. It's only a little after one, he said. We can talk to the mother before the boy comes home. Right, said Stevenson, getting to his feet. Mrs. Elizabeth Clayhorn was a short, roundish, pleasant-faced woman in a flower-pattern apron. She looked at the identification Marshall showed her and smiled uncertainly. FBI, I don't under... Well, come in. Thank you. The living room was neat and airy. The four men settled themselves. Marshall, uncomfortably, was the spokesman. I'm going to have to explain this, Mrs. Clayhorn, he said, and frankly, it isn't going to be easy, you see. He cleared his throat and tried again. Well, here's the situation. Someone in New York has a rather strange machine of some sort. Well, it's sort of a heat machine, I suppose you could say. And we've traced it through its use to, um, well, to your son. To Eddie, Mrs. Clayhorn was looking very blank. Eddie. I take it, said Marshall, instead of answering, that your son hasn't told you about this machine. Well, no. Well, of course not. I mean, he's just a little boy. I mean, how could he have any sort of machine? What is it, a blowtorch, something like that? Not exactly, said Marshall. Could you tell me, Mrs. Clayhorn, what your husband does for a living? Well, he runs a grocery store. The Bohacks up on Flatbush Avenue. I see. Lang took over the questioning. Are there any other persons living here, Mrs. Clayhorn? Any boarders? 
No, there's only the three of us. Well, is Eddie interested in anything of a, well, a scientific nature, in school perhaps? Oh, Lord, no. He hasn't had any real science subjects yet. He's only in the fifth grade. His best subject is history. That's because he likes to read, and history is all reading. He got that from me. I read all the time. He doesn't have one of these junior chemistry sets, then, or anything like that. No, not at all. He just isn't interested. We even got him an erector set last Christmas, and he played with it for a day or two and then gave it up completely, and went back to reading. The thing is, said Stevenson, with ill-concealed desperation, he does have this machine. Are you sure it's Eddie? Yes, ma'am, we're sure. Mrs. Clayhorn, said Marshall, the boy does have this machine, the government is very interested in it, and, well, I don't see how a ten-year-old boy, but if you say so, then I suppose it's so. Of course he'll be home from school at 3.30. You could ask him if you want. We'd rather not just yet, said Marshall. We think it might not be the best idea. As you say, Eddie is very interested in reading. He's been using this machine, and, oh well, he's been making a big secret out of it, like the characters in comic books. We wouldn't want to spoil the secret for him, at least not until we actually have the machine in our possession. I see, said Mrs. Clayhorn doubtfully. Ma'am, said Stevenson. We don't have any sort of search warrant, but we would like to take a look in Eddie's room with your permission. Well, if you really think it's important. It is, said Marshall. Then I suppose it's all right. It's the door on the right at the end of the hall. The three men, feeling large and cumbersome, searched the boy's room. It was a boy's room, nothing less and nothing more. The closet four and shelves are stacked with comic books. There were baseball trading cards in the top bureau drawer. There were pennants on the walls. There was no heat machine, nor any hint of a heat machine. "'I just don't know,' said Marshall at last. "'Unless he carries it all the time,' said Lang. "'Sure,' said Stevenson. "'That's why he had it with him in the bank that day.' "'Maybe,' said Marshall. "'I just don't know. "'You know, I really don't believe there is a machine.' "'Of course there is,' said Stevenson. "'We've seen what it can do.' "'Oh, I'm not denying the boy caused those things.' but I just have the completely insane conviction that there isn't any machine. Marshall shrugged. Ah, well, never mind. Let's go back and soothe the mother. They soothed her, which took some doing, not because she was at all worried, but because she was so curious she could hardly sit still. But Marshall, by looking very stern and official, and by speaking in round, long-syllabled sentences, finally convinced her that the welfare of the nation was absolutely dependent upon her not mentioning anything at all about this visit to Eddie under any circumstances. "'We'll be back to talk to the boy in a day or two. Marshall told her. "'In the meantime, we'd prefer him not to be forewarned.' "'If you say so,' she said, frowning. The school principal, a gray battleship named Miss Evita Dexter, was irate. The idea that pornographic materials were being sold in her schoolyard was absurd. It was ridiculous. It was unheard of. Stevenson assured her that, adjectives notwithstanding, it was happening and they were going to have a shakedown of the student body, whether Miss Dexter liked it or not. Detective Sergeant Stevenson and his associates, Marshall and Lang, were going to go through the student body with a fine-tooth comb. Neither Marshall nor Lang had mentioned the fact that they were from the FBI. The search began at 9.45 in the morning, and ended at 10 past 12. On the persons of three eighth-grade boys, they found pornographic photos. On the person of Eddie Clayhorn, they found absolutely nothing. Abner Straightman Long was a government expert. 
He was more or less a government expert in the ready reserve since he had never once been called upon to use his expertise for the government. Not until now. Admiral Straitman Long was resident professor of psychology at Mandar University. He was also one of the world's foremost and best-known experimenters in the area of parapsychology, also called extrasensory perception, also called psionics. The government, as a matter of principle, didn't believe in psionics, but the government, also as a matter of principle, kept a psionics expert handy, just in case. The just-in-case had maybe happened. Professor Long sat in Marshall's office and listened stolidly to the problem. The expert was a tall, barrel-chested man, with a fantastic shock of white hair exploding out in all directions from his head. His nose was bulbous, his jaw outthrust, his eyes deep-set, his ears hairy, his hands huge, and his feet huger. He looked like a dressed-up lumberjack of the old school. He listened, and they talked, and every once in a while he nodded and said, Huh? His voice was, predictably, basso profundo. Then they were finished, and Professor Long summed it all up. He changes the temperature of objects, yes? Yes, said Marshall. You looked for a machine, yes? Yes, and we didn't find it. And your thermodynamics people said no such machine could exist anyway, yes? That's right. Then why did you look for it? Because, said Marshall desperately, we've seen it in action, that is, we've seen the result of its use. Yes, said the professor. He sucked on his lower lip and abstractly watched his thumbs twiddle. Pyrotic, he announced at last. I beg your pardon, asked Marshall. Pyrotic, repeated the professor. Yes, yes, pyrotic. Do you know what that is? No, said Marshall. Good, said the professor. Neither do I, but I have a theory. There are more theories than there are phenomena. That always happens. But listen to this theory. The mind reaches into the object on the molecular level and adjusts the molecules so. The temperature changes, do you see? Not exactly, said Marshall doubtfully. Neither do I. Never mind. I know lots of theories. None of them make any sense. But they all try to explain. If you say so, said Marshall. Yes, I say so. Now, as a psychologist, I will tell you something else. This boy has made this secret, yes? This scorpion, he calls himself. And like his heroes of the comic books, he uses his power for good. Shazam, yes, Captain Marvel? Yes, said Stevenson, nodding emphatically. Now what happens if you go to the boy and tell him, We know you are the scorpion. Your secret is out. What happens then? I don't know, said Marshall. Think, suggested Professor Long. Batman, let us say, or Superman. Quite apart from fighting crime, what is the major task confronting these heroes? That of maintaining the secrecy of their identity, yes? The four men nodded. Now, said Professor Long, to the mind of a ten-year-old boy, what is the implication? The implication is this. If the secret of the identity is lost, the power of the hero is also lost. That is the clear implication, yes? You mean this boy wouldn't be able to do it anymore if we went and talked to him, asked Lang. I don't say that, cautioned the professor. I do say this. He will believe that he has lost the power, and this belief may be sufficient to destroy the power. Yes? In other words, said Marshall, you're saying that we can't ask this boy how he manages his stunt, because if we do, then he probably won't be able to manage it anymore. A distinct possibility, said the professor. But only a temporary possibility. 
The drama of the scorpion will not, I imagine, survive puberty. But will the ability survive puberty? No one can know. No one can even guess. Well, here's the thing, said Marshall. Not downgrading your theories at all, Professor. They are nevertheless still only theories. Frankly, given my choice between an impossible machine and a boy with the power to think things hot and cold, I'll give the impossible machine the edge. At this point, accepting the idea of the machine, our next move is simple. We go ask the boy to give it to us. From what you say, we can't even do that. My best advice, said the professor, will be to keep the boy under careful surveillance for the next three or four years. Gradually get to know him. Carefully work out a long-range program involving his reading habits, the attitude of his teachers and parents, the sort of external stimuli to which he is... Fellas, said Robert suddenly. Oh, fellas. They turned to look at him. He was in his favorite pose, shoes off, feet up on the windowsill. He was now pointing at the window. Do you fellas see what I see? He asked them. They saw. The window was frosting. It was rainy, humid, mid-November day, and the moisture was condensing on the window pane. It was condensing, and then it was freezing. It didn't take long. No more than a minute passed from the time Roberts noticed the thing beginning until the time it was complete, and then they watched various specific sections of the window defrost again. It was a very strange-looking window. It was covered with frost, but there were lines of bare window, as though the frost had been scraped away. The lines formed letters, and the letters formed words, and the words were, Pooh! Mom told me. My God, said Marshall. Well, 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 said Stevenson. Yes, said Professor Long. He nodded and turned away from the window to look at the door. You may come in now, Eddie, he called. The door opened, and Eddie Clayhorn stood there in civilian clothes. He beamed at the window. That was tricky, he said. So, said Professor Long. I was mistaken, eh? Exposure does not spoil things, is that it? Sometimes, said Eddie Clayhorn, the hero has one or two trusted friends in the police force, who know who he is and give him tips about criminals. But they never tell anybody. Of course, said Professor Long, and we are your trusted friends, yes? Sure, but you can't tell my parents or anybody. Roberts leaned forward and gingerly touched the frosted window. It was cold, very cold. He turned and looked with awed eyes at Eddie Clayhorn. Slowly he smiled. Scorp, old boy, he said. You can just call me Tonto, Kimosabe. End of Call Him Nemesis by Donnelly Westlake Recording by Chris Pyle Hi, I'm Jesse. Hello, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Evan. Hi, I'm Misa. We're going to talk about Call Him Nemesis by Donald E. Westlake. This was first published in Worlds of Vif, September 1961. Uh, it, maybe it's not called Worlds of If. It might be called If, Worlds of Science Fiction. It's a little bit unclear. I believe that. I believe, yeah, world, no, Worlds of um, because I'm looking at the PDF that you kindly said. It's called Worlds of If Science Fiction. Volume 11, uh, number four. Well, that's the way it is on the table of contents. <laughs> the problem is well, if you well, look... That's if, what, that's if you look on the cover, um, it's if science fiction, right? They they kind of had a weird uh, programmatical problem. This magazine, it's actually a pretty good magazine. Editors uh, H. L. Gold, same guy who edited Galaxy. Um, but the title, if it's, I don't think it's one we've uh, had a lot of stories out of. Even though it's it's pretty good, it doesn't tend to have a lot of good art, which is one of the things that holds me back. This 
this piece has only one piece of art, and I believe it's the juvenile delinquent uh, rumble yeah, it, scene. It, it's, it, yes, the rumble. Yes, the rumble. Um, feels like this should have been written in the early fifties, not sixty-one. I was kind of surprised when I went back and looked at the date. Um, but it's definitely a weird story, uh, as in strange, not like weird fiction. Yeah, it, it does feel very more 50s and 60s. It does. It felt, yeah, it felt like a juvenile. Uh, like a juvenile, uh, like Heinlein? Story. Yeah, it did. That's how it felt. Interesting. Um, yeah, I can see that. There's, uh, so much Westlake in it. And also, it's very, very different from his normal Westlakean stuff. Um, one of the things I did was last night, I made a student uh, go through it with me. <laughs> and um, because I teach a lot of writing, um, and this kid's pretty good at grammar. Um, so we're doing sort of like advanced stuff. And, and even beyond, his, his uh, vocab's pretty good, too. So we're doing more advanced stuff. And I just want to read uh, the opening here, and you'll see all the things that I think make Westlake so great. Uh, the man with the handkerchief mask said, All right, everybody, keep tight. This is a holdup. There were 12 people in the bank. There was Mr. Featherall at his desk, refusing to okay a personal check from a perfect stranger. There was the perfect stranger, an itinerant garage mechanic named Rodney. Rod Strom. Like the check, like the check said. There was Miss English and Miss Filkoff. Filikoff. The girls in the gilded teller cages. There was Mr. Anderson, the guard, dozing by the door in his brown uniform. There was Mrs. Elizabeth Clayhorn, depositing her husband's paycheck in their joint checking account. And with her was her 10-year-old son, Edward Eddie Clayhorn Jr. There was Charlie Cassell, getting $10 dimes, $6 nickels, and $4 pennies for his father in the grocery store down the street. There was Mrs. Dolly Dan Daniels, withdrawing money from her savings account again. And there was the three bank robbers. And what's so funny is, we looking at the bank robbers, they're exactly the same. They never get names. They are dressed exactly identical. They, he even says they're triplets. But we get all of these details about these people, and I'm like, why, what, what's going on, right? Turns out, later on, we find out that little Eddie is responsible, although we find that out quite late in the story. But uh I kind of thought, oh, it's going to be that kid from the bank. Pretty early, I thought I was very smart when that turned out to be true. But what's so cool is there's a like a transitive property in the writing. So Mr. Mm -hmm. Featherall is at his desk refusing to okay a personal check from a perfect stranger. Next sentence, there was a perfect stranger, an itinerant garage mechanic named Rodney Rodstrom. Like the check set. <laughs> so <laughs> there's like a back and forth and a back and forth and a back and forth. And that's actually what makes the story kind of longer than it probably should be. Um, because that transitive property, that bouncing back and forth, happens from scene to scene. Uh, so mm -hmm. later on we see a, a guy, uh, I guess one of the cops, he's saying, I don't get it at the beginning of the scene. And at the end of the scene he says, I don't get it. <laughs> um this is, I think, maybe why it was better for Westlake to leave science fiction than 
for most people. I like. I feel like I want him to stay in science fiction and write more books like Anarchaos and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But he went on to the much greener fields, paywise of crime fiction, and that's essentially what this is, except for the uh-huh. fantasy element, right? right? Yeah, it, it, it it's a mystery slash crime thing. Like who 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 is this mysterious scorpion who's the scorpion. stopping these crimes? Mm-hmm. And basically sussing that out. It's also an origin story, but it's also a, basically a comic book origin story it for is. the scorpion. It is. It is. Yep. Although we're seeing it from like uh, J.J. Jonah Jameson's point of view rather than than uh, <laughs> right, Spider Man's Peter Parker's Peter Parker's. Yeah, yeah. Ex- exactly. What does what does a what does a superhero's early exploits look from the outside? I mean, the Spider-Man movies, just as an example, or even the Batman movies, generally don't show that. We see it from Batman or Spider-Man's. I can think of it. One, I mean, like the the 1989 Batman. We see we see uh, these these robbers doing their thing, and then Batman shows up from their point of view. But otherwise, generally, it's always from Spider-Man or Batman or whoever's point of view. Whereas this story flips that and decides, no, we're gonna show we're gonna show the origin story, but from everybody except the kid. They're doing like a scientific investigation. Um, but, yeah. But he. He he does all these curly cues around around things that don't show that. So like all the letters to the newspaper, right? <laughs> or the two first mm-hmm. letters uh cut out carefully from the newspaper, glued together and in sort of a kid language. Um Warn the citizens <laughs> Do yes. bad bad doers be gone. <laughs> Leave the city. Right? right. Um Sincerely and then they chuck it away. <laughs> In the garbage. The whole cutting out letters used to be a thing uh, to 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 send a message used to be a thing. Yeah, it's not anymore, but that used to be a thing. Probably so should be. Wesley's tapping to a real still could be. Yeah, yeah, it probably still should be because your <laughs> your your uh, your printer uh, informs on you. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. Everything does. <laughs> yeah, and uh, your ty- typewriters, you know, were uh, you know could be traced back to you. Your, your printer's definitely probably sending messages to. Uh, IBM right now, <laughs> and IBM <laughs> sharing them. Sincerely, your printer. <laughs> That's right. Sincerely, your printer. Yeah, sneakily, your printer. <laughs> um, so, uh, how long did it take when you're first reading this story for you to figure out what the heck kind of story this was? Whether whether or not it was a gadget or something else. What, what, no, I just mean like what kind of story it is because it's it is a superhero origin story. Um, I guess it's sort of uh, telegraphed by the opening uh, uh, editorial introduction, but mm-hmm. we never get the word nemesis in the story. No, no. I kind of like that. I, I mean, I was starting off thinking vigilante story. You know, the scorpions felt like a Batman, but then mm-hmm. as the diesels come out, like okay, so no, it's got to be somebody young, and well. Nemesis, um, Westlake plays fair, so who young that we actually seen? Oh, it's the kid at the beginning, of course, but how are we actually going, the cops are actually going to figure that out was the joy of the story, not the mystery of who it is. Like, how are we going to get there in a fair way? Mm. That makes sense. All right, Evan, I'm going to allow you to, uh, use your 10 quotations from, uh, you, you can use the name Stephen King 10 times now. <laughs> All right. Uh, 
So first of all, I think this. Uh, um, I mean, obviously, since I'm allowed to use it, uh, <laughs> Stephen King was heavily influenced <laughs> by this this man, uh, Donald Westlake. Westlake. Yes, he was. He uh, does he count? Yes. He uh, of course uses George Stark in the Dark Half, mm-hmm. which which I'm currently reading again. Um, that's uh, that's uh, from which, Misa, who which may he not gets know. from. Yeah, yeah. He, which was uh, was it uh, Richard Stark? Yes, was the pen mm-hmm. name the pen name yeah. of Westlake? Mm-hmm. And of course, King had his own uh, other identity for a while, mm-hmm. which we did some novels of. And so well, he probably read this story. I think. I, I think I'm, you're right. He was writing I, and, at this time. And there's a couple. I mean, obviously Carrie, which yep. that's just Teak. That's not Pyrokinesis, but the much better novel Firestarter, which I mentioned in the pre-show a little bit, mm-hmm. is. Heavily influenced by the story, I think. Even though King does it hmm. in a reversed way, isn't he, that uh, interesting? That no, interesting. nobody what, noticed that in all these years. Well, so what? What Firestarter does is it's all about the parents impose a control on this young girl because the baby has the ability, and it's all about control. So there's three stages in the book. In the earliest part of the book, uh, Charlie McGee is controlled by her parents. It's like a potty training type of. Well, it's like a psych, like a Neurosis is planted into their head, <laughs> yeah. right? Into her head, not to use this ability. Then they get chased by the government. and Which happens here, too. And she gets captured. And she's in the, then you have the government trying to harness her ability. So it's like governmental. It's like education. It's like, you know, you can use this ability to serve us, which is kind of how education works. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end, it's like a, ma- a maturation where she's able to use her powers for herself, for her own will, and control it. And so that's a really wonderful done. That's why I think Firestar is one of his best novels and maybe the best early novel he wrote. And probably um, a better story than this. Yeah. But this has this weird idea at the end with that he'll just kind of grow out of it, which I think I, I have to believe King read that and thought that's wrong. It's that's not how it's going to work. Some, Westlake doesn't understand like teenagers or something. Do you think he meant he was going to grow out of it at the end? Well, I don't that's think what the, so. The, 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 the smart think, guy says. Yeah, but then yeah, but, the, but he was wrong. The, 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 he was wrong right not. away, right? Yeah. yeah. So he will believe that he's lost his power, and this belief mm-hmm. may be sufficient to destroy other powers. Yeah, maybe I missed something. Well, one, one, one like, of the I things I got too much into this idea, but <laughs> um, he basically says I mean, at the end, yeah, you got this, but I don't know. It's it's. It's not as developed as it could have been. Um, I think the step, one thing, I think the steps that Westlake takes to have the detectives get to here, it's like, I didn't really buy it. I nope. think I didn't buy it either. just jumped to the supernatural really too quickly. Mm-hmm. Doesn't. Well, they start off. Well, they don't. They, they don't jump with this. Yeah, yeah, they're saying it is a super science thing. thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, and that's very fifties, which again makes me feel like this one. Well, of the Easter, that's what, what's interesting. This is in worlds of if science fiction, or if science fiction, uh, if worlds of science fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, but this magazine is actually more fantastic than Galaxy is, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, you know, there's a magazine called Fantastic, and they could have science fiction stories. But um, these genre conventions, you know, what it uh, determining what. Uh, what genre something is. So uh, when uh, somebody asked me what you would put on the list, one of the things I'm like, where's Francis Stevens on this list of uh, 
things. Where's um, William Hope Hodgson on this, you know, giant fantasy <laughs> list? Um, and the thing is, is uh, determining what goes into what category is actually much harder and possibly less fruitless or more fruitless than any other sort of activity you could do. So I, I was lucky when we named the website SFF Audio Podcast or sffaudio.com, right? We didn't know uh, what to call it because we know what we like. Um, and SFF covers more things than SF does. Um, and, of course, we cover things that are, like, pretty far out of genre, too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But the thing is, is if you fix your criteria and figure out what thing you're talking about, you can you can actually make some really interesting cases. So like spider, you know, mentioned Spider-Man movies and stuff, right? Uh, is Spider-Man a science fiction story? No, it is not. It's a super science story, but nobody knows what that is anymore. Right. And that's actually not the focus of the story at all. That's just the origin. And Francis Stevens, I make the case, uh, 1904 story by her is, uh, the, first superhero story because it's a superhero origin story doing super science and he gains incredible abilities by basically being bit by a radioactive spider except it's not a spider um and at the end he even gets a superhero name so it's a superhero story what is that genre it's not fantasy because there's no swords clearly there's no magic right it's something uh so worrying about the category is actually important and when we're reading this i thought from the title nemesis i was thinking more it's like going to be a it's going to be a science fiction story we're going to be in outer space and there's going to be some bad guy who's his (laughs) nemesis or maybe it's going to be a star named nemesis or a planet named nemesis right no it's set on earth it's in new york basically there's some (laughs) juvenile delinquent gangs that are hilarious there's uh very hilarious Westlake-isms all over the place. And then we find out that it is not uh, a super science story. It's a whatever Stephen King genre is, right? Story. Which is not horror, always. But It's just fantasy. I just think... Yeah, it's a very broad Mm -hmm. thing called fantasy. And it it Mm -hmm. sometimes doesn't include dragons and wizards and swords. Uh, And that's what it is. So... Uh, the characters are actually having a kind of genre struggle themselves, yeah. right? Trying well, to figure well, yeah. out what kind of world they live in. I, I, I mean, have you ever heard the the phrase genre savvy? No. Where characters kind of know they're in a kind of oh, story. Okay. I get or, it. or they yeah. play a get or, or, or wrong genre. They think they're in a kind of story, but they're actually not in right. react in the wrong way. Yeah, I guess uh, Inferno by Larry Niven and Jerry Purnell would be a, a kind of reaction to that because they, yeah, 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 yes, they're yes, science yes. fiction guys and then they end up in hell where the rules are right, right, fantasy right. rules. And he's wrong genre savvy. <laughs> he thinks he's in a science fiction realm. No, he's actually in hell. Right. And, and it it's a fantasy, up again. fantasy rules, not uh, science, science fiction, fiction hard yes. SF does not work down here. <laughs> <laughs> so when you jump out a window, things happen, but they're not what you expect. So yes, yeah, so, so 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 these characters 
for a while are in the wrong genre. They're thinking super science when it's actually fantasy. It had been fantasy and, from the beginning. And, but, but they don't know that. They, they, they didn't they, know they, that. They, they, they saw up as regular crime. And then they move to super science, and then they figure out it's actually superpowers and fantasy. So they're kind of migrating through genres to try to solve the problem. What do you think of the ending here, Misa? Sure, but you can't tell my parents or anybody. Roberts leaned forward and gingerly touched the frosted window. It was cold, very cold. He turned and looked with awed eyes at Eddie Clayhorn. Slowly, he smiled. Scorp, old boy, he said. You can just call me Tonto. I know you know who those people are because I heard your I, show. I, I most years ago. certainly do. <laughs> um, I I thought it was I don't know I I thought the whole thing was really cute. Um, uh, it, it could have been you know some sort of jumping point for yeah. a real backstory for this kid. But was he bit by a radioactive scorpion? Did he read <laughs> the superpowers into himself? I'm like what why what happened with this? I wanted to know I wanted to know this kid, Eddie. I want to know more about him. And I think that's actually the issue with with sort of superhero stories is the origin story is the opening promise. And <laughs> and that Francis Stevens story, there's no follow up. Right, she never wrote a sequel. It was just a superhero origin story, and it feels like, well, that's not enough, right? It'd be like you watch the first, you know, they remade the Spider-Man movies four or five times, right? The the, oh, the origin, for that matter. the origin, right? Yeah, and Batman too, but but Batman's uh, origin is, you know, he's he, he learns kung fu, <laughs> whereas <laughs> whereas uh, this is a radioactive spider biting a guy, right? But imagine you're watching the the Spider-Man movie. And you, you you sat down for a feature film, and at the 15 minute mark, he gets bit by a radioactive spider, and he says, "Now I'm Spider Man," and then the movie's over. Right? Feels yeah. like you got ripped off, right? So mm-hmm. if he had written like more of this, I think this would be a lot more famous than what we have, because what we have here is a promise. Exactly. It feels like, yeah. And no delivery on that yeah, promise. Yeah. It, the mm-hmm. whole, whole idea of making promises to the reader and delivering on them, or in the case, not. Right. <laughs> like the 50 fa- best fantasy books of all time. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Readers, I was in pre-chat. If Jesse includes that, then you can listen to that part. Otherwise, we're talking about an Esquire article about the 50 best fantasy books of all time, which Jesse has which issues I'm, with. I'm not the only one. Uh, so, yeah, although a lot of people that, just uh, said nice list, thanks. <laughs> you know, so I'm like whatever. Well, 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 well yeah, I'm not going to derail the conversation by going to that. I agree. That's a, probably a bad idea. Um, so is that all we have for this story? It, it's just uh, it's uh, about an hour long, and and we can talk it, about it for five minutes. It's it's. I, I was it, pretty surprised by what the story was. I guess. I guess yeah, I was too. But to say, mm-hmm. I you just sent it to me. I didn't even really know what was going on. I I've. Just so I thought it because we the last two Westlakes we did were like crime stories, right? Yeah. And so I thought this would be, and that's how it starts, obviously. Mm-hmm. So I was surprised where where it went, but I got excited with the pyrokinesis. Yeah, yeah. No, mm-hmm. I think it, you you must have. Um, yeah, I mean, if you weren't allowed to talk about Stephen King, you'd have nothing. <laughs> and I'm <laughs> I'm struggling too because I yeah. think it's it's actually really fun reading, but it's very it fluffy and frothy. Yeah. 
it's 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 all surface and no tension. It's it's just like okay, it's there. It was a fine. They 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 find the mystery. Yes, the kid has superpowers, and then it's the end. It's like okay, we. It's kind of like you go you gone around the amusement mm-hmm. park ride, and you got off. You you're exactly where you started from. It's like you haven't learned much out of it. He's, yeah, mm-hmm. I see now the ending you started talking about, where he teams up with the police. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and he even has yeah. a costume. Don't right? listen to that part of it. Yeah, yeah, he but he a, didn't. But he he has a Halloween costume. He has he a ha- Halloween costume, and what does it look like? But it doesn't look anything like his hero. I, he doesn't look like a scorpion. No, but, but his I mean, superpowers. He's, he's a superhero. But he doesn't have he, his powers. Don't match that of a scorpion yeah, either. The, the, well, it doesn't make any sense, right? No, they don't. But they do match Nemesis, though. I guess so. Call him yes. Nemesis. Did you, make, did you, yeah. You know, if he if they say uh, Scorp old boy, first thing we need to do is change your name. Change your name. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta get you gotta brand yourself better than, than what you have. This now, Scorpion sounds cool, but you but he's a kid. Stuff. He just picked Scorpion. Probably maybe at that minute, the, at his first crime, he didn't like sit down and think about it, and then he mm. was stuck. Yeah, maybe. no, he just picked some cool sounding <laughs> name, right? Yeah. The Avenger, whatever that means. Wait, you're not going to avenge anything? <laughs> well, that makes, okay. Well, that, that kind of makes me think of the show Invincible and the comic Invincible where, oh. where it's like, okay, so what, what, what is he going to call himself mm-hmm. with his powers? It, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it can be a, it can be a amusing little problem for a superhero or someone with superpowers. Okay. What do, what do I, uh, what do I call myself mm-hmm. or, 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 okay, I'm not going to go to a weird, strange deep dive. So there is a, there is a video game called Marvel Puzzle Quest, where basically you have Marvel superheroes and you play a mastery game to fight against other Marvel superheroes. And when they release new characters, because they release new characters all the time, they give hints as to what the next character is going to be. And sometimes those hints are kind of really weird. Like, the hint for the next character is, has the bends. And everyone's thinking, okay, is this Namor? Is this Mr. Mm. Fantastic? It turns out, no, the next character is going to be Crystal, because Crystal bends light. Okay, so That's I know that was a very strange, very uh, deep. I thought it would be right. Aquaman. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, well that that's, you get when that's DC, but yeah, yeah, that's oh. DC. It's got to be Marvel. So yeah, so people were thinking Mister Fantastic or Namor, but no, it turns out to be it's Crystal because Crystal bends light, and people need to get the face falling. Oh, now we get it. Um, do you guys uh, catch um, the the gang names? No, I didn't. I forgot. Uh, I'm trying to find it here. It was like Scarlet somethings and the other ones. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) They were like very generic gang names. I was just thinking, uh, I think there was a... um, This is not the Warriors. Yeah, actually, one of my favorite podcasts just did a show on the Warriors. And I'm like excited, but I haven't seen the Warriors. So I'm going to have to watch. Wait, wait, wait. wait, I know, Paul. We've we've had this conversation. Before. I know we've I have not seen. I have not seen the Warriors. Still, I will watch the Warriors I, I just for you. I mean, I haven't seen it either. So, uh, uh, there, not is, there is a novel. I, it's not public domain, but there is. I don't know if there was an audiobook of the novel of that novel. That's a good question. If there is, it is a, was it a novel first or is it just novelization? Novel first. Oh, novel interesting. First. That's interesting because it's a remake of, uh, or not a remake. It's a, it's a historical story. Put into yeah, yeah, New based York. on the Anabasis of uh, that's the one. Yes, that's right. Yes. Zinefon. All right, Zinefon. 
I so found it. Um, Scarlet Raider and Challenger. Guys, there's an audiobook of the novel. There's an audiobook of the novel. <laughs> sell, sell, me seven hours, sell me at the end. Sell me at the end. Sell me at the end. Scarlet Raiders and the Challengers, oh, Challenger. right? Yeah. Challenger territory, yeah. Just um, the Challenger, yeah. Challenger. Yeah. Um, and or it is the Challengers. Um, yeah. Uh, and then earlier on the previous page, um, this is the cops going back and forth. How should I know? And why not anyway? <laughs> why not anyway? You know, as well as I do, these things happen. A bunch of teenagers burgle a liquor store and they write the Golden Avengers on the glass in lipstick. It happens all the time. Why not the Scorpion? It couldn't occur to more uh, to two people. Um, so the the thing is, is it's always the warriors, right? When you're making a juvenile delinquent gang, which I thought mm-hmm. was hilarious. There, uh, this is like a such a strange phenomenon, right? That they existed, and then they, 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 you know, all the Korean kids I know, they never joined gangs. They should because it'd be cool, but they don't. Um, by the time I was a kid. That was basically completely gone. It was like you would read Rumblefish, you would read, uh, yeah, you would read, uh, what's a uh, soda pop and one of them, mm. the other book by that lady. Um, what's it called? Uh, The Outsiders, right? The Outsiders. Yeah. And he said, Ooh, yeah. this sounds cool. I want to be, I want to be smoking cigarettes and, uh, wearing my jean jacket and, and getting rumbles. <laughs> With yeah. switchblades. <laughs> like, how did this, how did this come to be? Like, after yeah, World War II, all the kids said, I, I, you know what? Fuck mom and dad. Let's go out and fight. <laughs> what happened? Well, it, you might be something about the war because the parents were away so much, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, yeah, I've I seen mean, these pictures kids, from you know. the factories that would have, like, I, literally on the factory floor, there'd be just this area set aside and there'd be kids sleeping there and stuff mm-hmm. during nap time because, you know, there weren't enough babysitters and the, you know, dad was off in Italy and mom was in the airplane, fa- you know, factory. Right. So the kids were all uh, kind of wild. And that and and the helicopter parenting was not a thing, right? No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, obviously we still have this, like, there are still street gangs, but they sling drugs. They don't just, like, fight over territory of, like, who's allowed to walk on what street. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, the whole West Side Story. And That's they, what I was going to say. It gave me the whole West Side Story yeah, vibe. Yeah, but yeah, West Side Story doesn't exist as how gangs work these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that reminds me, I do want to see the remake, just to see if it can stand up to the original. I don't think it will, but I, I'm curious. There's a, a terrific story. Um, it's not public domain, sadly, uh, by Graham Greene called The Destructors. Have you guys read this story? I have no. not. Uh, it's, it's a, it's set after World War II. Um, and there's these kids who are basically in a gang. Um, and what they do all day is basically they, they, they say like, Hey, let's go do something. And, and, and they, and the leaders will say, Oh, that sounds great. And you get points sort of for coming up with cool ideas for things to do. So one of the things they do is they, they ride the buses for free. They don't want to go anywhere. They just want to not pay, you know. So they like hitch onto the back bumper of the bus and like and jump off at the next stop and say, "Ha ha ha! I screwed the man!" Right? And everybody's getting tired of doing that. So one of the kids comes up with this idea. Um, there's this old house, um, and the guy's going to be going away for uh, <laughs> for like two weeks or something. Let's mm-hmm. destroy his house, <laughs> and they mm-hmm. do. 
And then the guy comes back at like early somehow. And the kids are like been working on destroying his house for like two days. And I said, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> and they lock him in, in a little building nearby. And I said, sorry, man, we got to keep going. I really apologize about this, but <laughs> they keep destroying his house. And then at the end of the story, they let him out. And, Ugh. and the idea is like, these are kids who desperately need something to do, right? And they're making their own recreation. This is like the logic that I think, uh, sort of the city hall people today still have. So they say, that's why we need skateboard parks now <laughs> to keep the kids from <laughs> doing this destructor. Midnight basketball. Yeah, exactly. Anything to keep the kids off the streets from slinging weed or whatever it is they don't want the kids to do. Um, because idle hands are the devil's playthings is the idea. Mm-hmm. And here we actually have that, uh, in two ways. We have the scorpion kid, right? Eddie. And we also have the, the, the literal street gangs that are going to have a rumble and they mm-hmm. say no zip guns, which is basically <laughs> a bullet with a, a, you know, in a, in a tube, a homemade gun made up, you know, you, if you have the bullets, you can shoot them. Very dangerous. Um, uh, and no, uh, no, no guns and no zip guns. Yeah. Where do they get the guns? They get the guns from their parents. Never says that, of course. Right. Welcome to America. Where do they get the bullets? Same way they get their cigarettes from their parents. Right. They reach into the drawer and take the bullets from dad's World War II service revolver. Right. Or, uh, probably automatic if it's American. <laughs> um, uh, and, and then they go out in the streets and they rumble. And the, what are they rumbling? Like the, the word is just even funny, right? <laughs> and the fuzz. <laughs> Everything about this is, is fantasy. And then we have this extra layer, uh, beyond the actual reality, this strange reality. Um, I don't know if you guys know Harlan Ellison wrote a bunch of, uh, juvenile delinquent novels. Um, and they were very authentic because he went and joined one, <laughs> a, a, a juvenile delinquent gang in New York. Um, and so that's on brand. And that is very on brand for him. Um, and the thing is, is like, he's a little guy, right? He's not like a big, tough brawler. He can't, you know, one punch people, but his, but his savagery. Scrap- yes. He's, he's, scrappy. He's, 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 he's like Rowdy Roddy Piper. Well, yeah, but Rowdy Roddy Piper is literally big. Right? No, but, but compared to a lot of the wrestlers he faced. Oh yeah. I watched a lot oh, of he's definitely he was, an he under, underdog. He was, yeah. He, he was, he was definitely smaller underdog, but he held his own because he, he's got the voice vicious. and he has the, he has some muscles too, but literally, you know, this guy was very short and small, but he has an ag- aggression and he, and he takes that sort of, uh, cutting this and he puts it in his, in his writing. Um, and so it is a fantasy already. A fantasy of our own reality. And then on top of that, there's this idea of everybody knows about comic books. And they start mentioning Batman and Superman early in the story, right? Hmm. And then eventually we find out, oh, yeah, that's true. He literally has got superhero comics in his closet. And so that's how he's modeling himself. But another way for the story to have gone is a much darker path. And that's actually kind of how, uh, like... There, there's the two kinds of superhero stories. There's the Batman, let's make him gritty, which is everything today, right? And then there's the Batman, Adam West, where it's like campy. And campy is not more unrealistic 
and gritty. gritty. It's just mm-hmm. gritty seems like it's more realistic. But then when you start noticing, like, there's a lady who calls herself Catwoman, like, come on. <laughs> the penguin? Come on. <laughs> and, uh, okay. So now eventually we have a movie that's it's just Joker, right? And the thing is, is Joker is the most realistic movie of them all because mm-hmm. it is essentially reality except most people don't put on the makeup right uh but that's it's much more like a, a taxi driver which is a kind of <clears throat> evil inversion of superheroes or maybe a more realistic depiction of superheroes there's this guy Travis Bickle he's a mild-mannered taxi driver by day <laughs> Um, just wants to have a, a meaning in his life. Uh, goes wrong in a couple of ways. He, he gets, uh, you remember the Wild Wild West, that show? Mm-hmm. Which, mm-hmm. which is a para, uh, companion Desilu show to, um, Star Trek. Uh, one of the guys had a trick gun that he flips his wrist and a, a little derringer sh- sh- pops into his hand. That's in that movie. That's where it came from. The idea of these, you know, little trick things to do things. Yeah. And then Hard what does recording. he do? Yeah. He, he goes to assassinate politicians, right? And, you know, hunts after a, you know, a 13 year old prostitute or whatever. And it's because he's living in his own fantasy world. Well, that's actually what the new, the new Batman did, right? The new one? I haven't seen the latest. Well, it did the name thing. It did the name thing too. Like he just doesn't call himself Batman. He calls himself Justice throughout the whole movie. And at the end when like the, the villain is actually thinks, Batman's also like on his side and he's like killing politicians mm. and he's surprised when Batman's like, dude, you're the bad guy. It's like, no, we're on the same team, man. Uh, mm. That's pretty good. interesting. Yeah. The, the, I felt like this story could have gone in that direction. Like if, yes. they had, if he had kept writing, this kid could have turned really dark. Like when he says, okay, Tonto, um, I'm, you know, mm-hmm. okay, Kimosami. Okay. I'm your Tonto Kimo, Kimosabi. Like it, it was like he was placating the kid because, he didn't know where that kid could go. The thing is, you know, is it, sincerely, the scorpion, all those times he wrote it, then he's going to go, why aren't you listening to me? Fuck all of you. Like, yeah. he's yeah. only 10 right now. Well, that's the thing is the tone of the story is humorous. It's it, it's actually hard to tell that right away. It just feels odd because you haven't maybe you haven't shifted into Westlakian mode. But, uh-huh. you know, the man with the handkerchief mask said, all right, everybody keep tight. This is a hold up. The keep tight is the only sort of slightly humorous thing. Then we start getting the description. And if you're paying attention, you sort of notice, oh, there's this back and forth thing and the transitive value of perception. And like, what, why do we need to know how many coins of what denomination this (laughs) guy needs? Right. It's because we're, we're sort of from a God's eye point of view in a certain sense. But there's this sort of jokey tone all the way through. And then if you suddenly flip that on a dime and see or flip that on a switch or what, I don't know, some phrase. Okay. <laughs> if you suddenly change it and you say, well, actually, let's deal with this in a realistic way. Uh, the, there, there is a line in here that was actually quite striking to me. And I, I thought I should mention this. Um, the government keeps on hand. Uh, a psychic expert, even yes. though the government doesn't believe in psychic experts, uh, psychic, uh, powers, right? Or mm-hmm. psi they or keep psionics. Keep the psychic expert, heart, uh, handy just in case. That made just me laugh. Just in case. Yeah. It made me think of if, if, 
I don't know how they could have done it, but if instead of whatever they do with the X Files, you know, it was like it was just Fox Mulder like hanging out, <laughs> waiting, <laughs> waiting for the government to we can't figure this one out. Which kind of is what the show is. It's just there were so it many is. episodes. It got kind of ridiculous. It did. Get, it was it was immediately ridiculous after it was is like oh this is amazing, and then after a certain point you say well come on. And then they had some good episodes after that, but it was mostly bad. Um, uh, what I want to point out is this is literally true. So I, I read this weird Westlake story earlier this week, not this one, another one called Fluorocarbons Are Here to Stay. And I'm like, that's a weird title. So I read it. And uh, it's about uh, City Hall that is in a small town where they make these fluorocarbon products. Um, and they decided to make the city hall out of these fluorocarbon products because it would be like a tourist attraction, uh, to bring people in and it's set in Massachusetts. And, uh, then they d- decided that it was, uh, undignified for the, for the, uh, city hall to be a tourist attraction, which it was. Um, so they decided to knock it down and build another city hall. <laughs> This is uh, the logic of the story and also logic of uh, the point Westlake is making the story about. Um, so they try and knock it down, but it turns out the reason uh, it was an attraction in the first place is because it's indestructible, this material. So they try and knock it down and it doesn't work. Um, but uh, in their many attempts to knock it down and the company that's contracted to do it, they end up le- like leveling half the town like with dynamite Mm -hmm. and uh, then it becomes a tourist attraction again, because this is all being videotaped at the, or shot on television. And lots of people want to come visit the site of this destruction and stuff. And so they make a ton of money uh, from tourism and they sell off like little bits of the, uh, the city hall and they have the, you can come to the mayor's desk and he'll sign it for you. And, and then they take this money and they build a giant football stadium out of fluorocarbons, <laughs> which is way too big, oversized, but they got so rich from this tourist attraction. And the point of that story is not that fluorocarbons are a real technology, although they are, uh, because the way Westlake uses them, they're not. But they were just being explored at the time uh, they were being written and. They have weird properties, like if you type in fluorocarbon and you go to Wikipedia, um, you get a, like a, you'll see like a jar, um, and at the bottom of the jar are a couple of pennies. Um, in the middle of the jar, there's a fish and a crab, um, and the crab and the fish cannot penetrate the the fluorocarbon liquid. It doesn't interact. It's uh, immiscible or something. There's some vocab word. Um, they can't interact, even though they're both liquids. Right. So this is kind of like immiscible. Yeah. That's, immiscible. That's the there you go. So, um, this proper, the, this stuff, which is fluorine and carbon being mixed together was being explored at the time. And he takes it and he says, well, what would city hall do with this? What would the government do with this? And the answer is they'd fuck it up. <laughs> so if Westlake wrote this, uh, as a longer thing, like a novel, it would be much more probably like what I imagine Carrie to be like. As mm-hmm. in, it's sinister. I think and, so too. Mm-hmm. And yep. and the thing is, is um, this is r- r- government being sinister is real. There's a early podcaster of science fiction uh, studies 
uh, called Courtney Brown. He's at Emory University. I don't know if he still podcasts his, his lectures. Um, very interesting show to listen to because he talks about all the books that I'm interested in reading. Um, mostly older, you know, Le Guin's and stuff like that rather than modern stuff. Um, but when you look into his backstory, he's kind of a weird guy. You can kind of tell from his, uh, his podcast, but more important, uh, more importantly, if you look into his backstory, you know what he did for a living? What did he do for a living, Jesse? He was the guy who was doing, uh, remote viewing for the U.S. government. That is to say, they would sit you down in a room, uh, because satellites are expensive, and they would run, uh, tests to see if you could remote view what was going on in a, in a, in a part of Russia to find out mm-hmm. if their domes, uh, literally contained nukes or not. Right? This is psi shit. <laughs> remote viewing, <laughs> one million percent bullshit, right? But at what point do you learn that? Well, the U.S. government took a fuck long time because he was doing this in the 70s, right? <laughs> it took a fuck long time to learn this. Um, so if, if, uh, little Eddie, uh, Clayhorn was to actually be recruited by the U.S. government, um, it would be much more like, uh, not V for Vendetta. What's the other one, uh, uh, by the same guy? Uh, Watchmen? Watchmen. Much more like Watchmen. He would be much more like, um, uh, the, the, the joke. No, the, who's the Joker guy? Oh, 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 you're talking the comedian. The comedian. He'd be much more like the comedian. He'd be used for assassinating people, right? He'd, mm-hmm. he'd be and lighting and people's and heads on fire. Also to mayhem, yes. Right. Well, I be, think that's, that's in a way where Phil Dick is kind of useful to us. Mm. Cause, um, you know, these superheroes, they're sort of post human and, you know, sometimes they get there because they're bitten by the spider, or they're like the X Men, who are, I guess, more true post humans. Yeah, that's a golden man. Mutants. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, golden man. And I think what Dick started to explore there was they're going to be true post human in every way. Yes. But uh, so many of these, like superhero, the superhero genre as a whole, characters will change. You know, like Tony Stark changes, but he's still roughly the same person throughout it. Like Peter Parker. Gets he's always by the radioactive good. spider, but he's yeah. still the same kind of kid. He's still the same guy. Right. And I think. I mean, he has, he has this moment of gro- growth when Uncle Ben dies. Great power comes great responsibility. That's. <laughs> yeah. Peter Parker's, but. And, and some, some but of the comics, he kind of grows again, especially after um, when Stacy dies. He has well, I guess I'm moment. not saying that there, there does not change. I'm saying there should be a fundamental break with post humanity. I mean, to post humanity. Mm-hmm. That. It's it's more like what the Watchmen is trying to do, mm-hmm. like with Doctor Manhattan mm-hmm. saying we're we're not even on the same level anymore. We can't even think the same way. Yeah, yeah, but that's kind and, of, it's kind of hard to write um, humans that are greater than humans and make that into a relatable story for us humans to read. It's a, that's a tricky. Yeah. That's a What's tricky interesting about <laughs> Watchmen is it has all of them, right? So. Yeah. You've got the Dr. Manhattan who is above the fray, but wants to be nice to a particular person who he, he once had a connection with. There's the owl man who is just a Batman rich Batman. and not particularly good at detecting anything, but he has, you know, he can invent things and he's like Tony Stark or whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, like he's and then, half Batman, half Iron Man. Yeah. And then you have Rorschach who is insane and also Batman you know, on a mission for justice. 
Um, and then you have the comedian who is the CIA hitman uh, who hey, does all the dirty he's, work. He's Joker who's he's a Joker who's on the side of the government rather than for himself. He's more neutral evil than chaotic evil. Right. And then the you know the woman character who we think is uh, you know Silk Spectre. Yeah. Right. Silk Spectre is basically ex- uh, sexually exploited and raped. Um, in this, it's like it's all the horrible things that are you know going on in the Olympic training and all these fetid famous people. And ultimately, what does it all mean? It means it's all lies, right? It, everything's lies. We think you're going to be one thing, and it's actually the other. And and this story is about a kid who believes, you know, it'd be good to do justice. And he just have, so happens to have the superpowers. And the government, when they investigate, we're going to keep this hush-hush. Uh, and we're going to team up. It, it, it cannot do anything except go sour unless, <laughs> unless it's just churn, you know, like it's basically, I don't really want to read Spider-Man because I don't really care about all these villains that he, green goblins that he's fighting, but it's because I'm an adult, right? But as a kid, those exercises of the punches and, you know, doing right, even though people are being mean to you, those are all useful, but Ultimately, this goes nowhere, right? This this story and anything like you know, Joker. I I, I quite like the Joker movie. Um, I wasn't expecting to, because I thought it was it was taking something that's to- totally stupid, uh, pretty seriously, and applying it as a uh, you know, uh, reflection on reality. It, I didn't need all that stuff of like I didn't need it to be the Joker. It's just what whoever made that movie said, I want to sort of do a modern taxi driver and oh, I'm forced to do DC stuff. Okay, I can do that, right? But it's a, as minimal as a DC stuff as you pr- pretty much get away with, right? As opposed to like Suicide Squad or some other, you know, Wonder Woman or anything where those are supposed to be exercising these things that are for children, but giving them to adults, right? And that's, that's the weird thing is that the, I, I mm-hmm. watched the couple of Marvel movies recently, the, uh, Black Widow. I said, Oh, this was done much better in the Americans, but this was fine. <laughs> but the Americans is like, it's about something. It's about, you know, uh, sleeper agents and how the Soviets aren't really necessarily the bad guys. Right. I said, Oh yeah, that's true. But they're kind of doing mean things like killing people and they're lying to their children. That's kind of bad too. Um, but the show is much better at doing what it's doing in a certain sense than the Marvel movie, but the Marvel movies, you know, enjoyable. And what was the other one that came out, uh, post, post, uh, Avengers? Uh, not the, uh, there's another one. Oh, there was a couple, wasn't there? Yeah, there's there, a new there, Spider-Man. Not the, there not was the Eternals. Eternals. Not the Eternals. It wasn't that one. Shang-Chi? Shang-Chi, right. So that one, um, I thought, oh, this is like, uh, it's like a good, thing it's a fantasy set in china right a fantasy superhero china it's got good action sequences but ultimately it's so forgettable i didn't even remember the name of it because it's just you know light entertainment it's not um it's not brain food it's it's it it doesn't doesn't feed the the, it was very well done it was very well done but completely forgettable and and so is that where we oh is that where we're at with superhero stuff? Is that really all there is? Because is that why Westlake never wrote any more of this stuff? 
because I think you'd have to go the darker way uh, to do this uh, carry or fire starter. I'm, I'm, I mean, evolving characters over time in Marvel movies. There isn't a lot there. I mean, I mean, not, I mean, basically one movie, and then they kind of generally repeat the beats, or they do it for fun. I mean, like, like, like Thor's arc during the whole Avengers thing, you know, him giving up, getting, getting fat and having to get back into the game is that's just played for laughs rather than an actual exploration of him trying to regain himself as a superhero. And I don't think, I don't think, I mean, the comics do it a lot better than the movies. I mean, I'm thinking of Tony Stark and the whole demon in a bottle thing in the 80s i didn't i didn't and, read uh okay iron man in the 80s so okay okay so, so in the so in the 80s iron man basically go basically gets depressed and goes heavily into alcoholism and at a point he basically gives up his armor and Rhodey is running around pretending to be iron man so when it came to the secret wars which was the first real comic right. except for one issue, the first comics I ever read it's Rhodey pretending to be iron man and when i found that out and i mean he's like and then they get hints like, well, who's actually in the Iron Man suit? It's like Iron Man. And then when I finally found like, uh, and then went back and reading the whole demon in, in the bottle and stuff, like, like oh. So I kind of got an early dose of how you can have a character's development kind of go like that. But again, the whole sort of resetting of a lot of comics means even that in the comic book realm eventually gets short-circuited. But they do sometimes do some interesting things in the comic realm. But in the movies, no. It, the movies are much more... Let's have a spectacle, punchy adventure sort of thing. And and you have variations on that theme. You have the Iron Man theme. You have the Guardians of the Galaxy comedy theme. You've got, mm-hmm. you got characters dealing with issues of family like Shang-Chi. But eventually, they're very much notes on the same page over and over again. Mm-hmm. And some people, some people like that sort of comfort. Some people want that spectacle. They want to sit back and watch Black Widow uh, kick uh, – Kick the butt of the of the taskmaster, or or see Shang Chi uh, stand up to his father and um, the demon from the dark dimension. But you know, it's that was not, very Lovecraftian. Uh, it I was very oh, it was so Lovecraftian. Yeah, I, I, that's exactly I didn't I didn't read a lot of Shang Chi comics. Um, no, so I don't no, know. But, but it made me but it made me think of Doctor Strange and it's his really movie. a shame they couldn't call him Fu Manchu though. Man, I wanted that so no, bad. No, I, 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 that, that, that would, that would have been a gigantic red flag, and that would, movie would never have been made. But, but is his father Fu Manchu? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but you couldn't actually say that in a movie these days. Well, no, but, I, it, it's a licensing issue, right? It's a, well, it's saying, but, yeah, but even beyond that, yeah, you, you, you just can't touch that with a ten foot pole. But some people can say is, anything, right? No, no, no. But but and get a movie made and not have it turn into a whole drama fest. Over the entire idea, from from licensing to to uh, accusations of racism and whatever, and all the I'm going to make a Fu Manchu podcast and show them. <laughs> if you if you want to, Jesse, I'm going to start growing my long fingernails. <laughs> but I mean, a thousand, a thousand year old sorcerer who's trying to bring back China and the West to power. That that's that is, I mean, except for the fact that he's not immortal. That is Fu Manchu's story. So you know. Yeah. And at the end of the movie, spoilers, I mean, his sister basically just takes step in his place. That's basically Fu Manchu's daughter. So, you know, yeah. They're, yeah. They're, they're definitely uh, it was a good movie. It's just um, 
it 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 just doesn't it, have that sort of heft that you're looking for, and they're not going. It was to. it was totally entertaining while I was watching it, and I didn't you know even the fight sequences were novel. It's, it's, there was it's no train. There was a dragon instead of a train. I mean, they're essentially the same thing, but yeah, it, it, at least fun, it I mean, looked like a dragon. And I liked that little furry creature with no face. That was cute. <laughs> um, yeah, you can see him too. <laughs> like yeah. I was delighted to have Ben Kingsley show up. I did not expect that at all. That was it didn't need to be there, so it's fine. No, but but it's, it's, fine. it's, a, but, but it's a nice connection and revamping back to the the third Iron uh, Man and the first con. Iron Man movies. So I it appreciate didn't even, that. Yeah. I they they think I remember that much. I was like, oh yeah, he was in an Iron Man movie. Now that you bring it back up to me, like that was so long ago. I'm not obsessed it, with it, this. It, it is it is for the people who obsessively remember these sorts of things, mm. but. But uh, yeah, I, I, no. so yeah, it's, it's, you're just not going to get that sort of emotional growth over movies because it's like you, you, you're talking about books that were, you're talking about, um, a certain person with a giant Kickstarter. Oh, is Brandon having Sanderson, French, right. Brandon Sanderson. I was going to name him. I'll let you name him. French fry fiction. Marvel movies are French fry movies. French, yeah. French fries are tasty and awesome, but when they get cold, you just don't want to really. Yeah. And you can them, eat, eat too many anymore. of them too, right? And you can eat too many of them. Yeah. But, for they're fine. I mean, if they're done well and salted and peppered, they're perfectly fine in the moment, and I will happily watch them. I need some but poutine not fiction. I... Much more <laughs> delicious. <laughs> poutine fiction. It's good when it's cold. I know it's been canceled because it sounds like Vladimir Putin. No, it does not. No, Putin has not been canceled. Yet. Oh yes, they they have been canceling Poutine, Paul. What? Just look poutine. it up. Type it in. That's, poutine that's canceled. Ridiculous. I, think I saw, saw something about that. that freedom, it was just freedom fries. <laughs> I read that more as just someone oh my. being idiots. It, people but, are, but you know, I, I was telling my student last night. Well, the worst um, was Tolstoy and Tchaikovsky oh and these people being canceled. This I just can't. Local believe. local uh, music musical production, you know, concert hall just did that. Canceled somebody. But did you know that during World War One, they like people rounded up and murdered Dachans. Because they were German wiener dogs. People are fucking ins- yeah. insane. People are, they, they want to slap a sticker on their body and say, I'm a, I'm a member of this, uh, this trend. And they'll do and say all sorts of crazy things that are unreasonable. But because so many people are doing it, they, they want to jump on the bandwagon. It's crazy stuff. Mm. You know, I'm, I, I don't just go around killing dogs because. German names. Don't do that. That's wrong. But 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 on the I mean I mean on, on a smaller note, the whole Freedom Prize, the original Freedom Prize was Salisbury steak. Okay, that was a World War One thing, basically. Like instead Lord of Salisbury. Oh really? Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know that Salisbury steak was hamburger. Yeah, it's basically a ham. It's basically formed hamburger and gravy. So okay, yeah, it is basically the original Freedom Prize. Oh, that's pathetic. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's probably why I've never eaten Salisbury steak without knowing it was a hamburger. That's <laughs> that's so stupid. The more you know. Sorry. Oh, my God. People are so fucking dumb, man. Um, hey, listeners, you're real fucking dumb. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Can, can you believe that? Complaints can be said to... Uh, <laughs> that's the way I get more <laughs> listeners, calling them idiots. Oh, my God. If you If you did that... How stupid do you got to be? I mean, um, it's not ignorance, exactly. It's like, 
It's that NPC face <laughs> that they always show the gray headed NPC guy on t- uh, Twitter memes. Yeah. Oh my God. That is pathetic, Paul. I didn't know that. Salisbury steak was a replacement for fucking hamburger? Mm-hmm. You're blowing my mind. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. To this. I always just thought it was like poor person steak because no, that's all no. we ever got was, was hamburger prepared like a steak and then you put uh, A1 sauce on it. Yeah. That was the closest we ever got to steaks. You even have like potatoes next to it or something. But I like both. I like steaks and burgers, but I prefer burgers. You can put some pickles on it. We <laughs> <laughs> can. Yeah. Anyway, right. I've, I've been thinking there's a there's a there's actually quite a few of these uh, uh, superhero origin stories in in King stories. Oh, so, uh, that might be my tenth one. <laughs> Uh, my tenth mention. I'll, uh, I was uh, just joking. You can have more like than everything that. I, I eventual. Don't count. I, yeah, there's some really good stories that kind of play with, uh, you know, that's one of his tropes, right? It's like the supernatural mm-hmm. powers, right? But some, this, a lot of them end with someone going off and freeing themselves from some confinement, and mm. and then you don't know where they go. You don't know what happens to them. Um, you know, some of them come back in the Dark Tower stories just briefly, but like uh, Everything's Eventual is a great short story about someone who has the ability to make people kill themselves just by writing them letters. Wow. Ooh. And this is something the government wants. And yeah, so they clearly. basically recruit, recruit him and get him to write the letters. And he finds out what he's actually doing and he escapes from that. And he's kind of like a, a superhero. could be a superhero if he wanted you know, to be. You know who... Uh, actually, Firestarter, she just, it's like the story ends when she's finally liberated and sets off on her own. So, you yeah, know I think who, it comes up by... who did this, um, and they did it the right way, and then there's the movie version, and that's the wrong way, um, uh, is our, our, best, our best man, uh, Ted Chang. Uh, Understand oh. Oh. is a yeah. superhero story, right? He's, he's basically Brainiac or whoever, Lex Luthor, or whatever. Um, uh, and his nemesis is another person out there that he can detect that exists. Um, but then I, I know it, I think it was based on a book too. And I think I read the book. Um, and then there was a TV series, uh, Limitless. You remember that movie? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brad and Cooper. Then, yeah, yeah. There was a movie and then there was a TV series. The after TV series Those was are- so fucking bad. But the movie was pretty good, right? And it ended the same way that Evan's saying ev- everything is eventual and mm-hmm. where, you know, he goes off. Uh, whereas with, with the original Ted Chang, understand, uh, we see the transformation process where he becomes a post-human, right? Something that is beyond us. And yeah, I think I remember this story. Where, where was that? It was... Was it in a collection? It is in it's a in collection. A, it's it's in Story of Your Life. Is it yeah. in Story of Your Life? Oh, yeah. look, I didn't Story get to it. Others. It's not an exhalation, so it must be in there. Uh, yeah, because there's only the two, right? There's only the two because okay, okay. yeah, okay. it's crazy, it. right? I mean, it, there's if you're making a science fiction canon and it only includes, it's the best of all time science fiction. Science fiction is at least 400 years old or whatever you say. Uh, two Ted Chiang collections could be in there. Yeah, you know, and it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be crazy, which is crazy because he's so good. It's crazy. It's crazy. He's so good. I I I, I kind of worry. Like, oh, I 
hope he's I hope he's doing okay because <laughs> I don't hear anything from him. I hope he's writing. Think about superheroes. Have <laughs> Have any of you read Ian Tregellis? No. No. Modern author, Evan? I think. Modern author. He he wrote a he wrote a trio of novels set in the 1930s where basically the Germans develop superheroes and the British develop magicians tied to Eldrick's entities to combat them. Hmm. And I, I really, really enjoy them, especially once you go uh, once uh, because the, the German superheroes are of course monsters, including one who basically is can see the future. And Gretel is a creepy, creepy antagonist. Hmm. And she, and she, and she basically mocks and toys with the hero through three novels because she can see the future. And She's always one step ahead of not only him, but also her fellow uh, teammates. So, yeah, she's basically trying to manipulate everybody. And she's just a little girl, but she's got the she got the creepiest superpower. So, yeah, Mm-mm. but it's kind of brutal because, you know, the Germans kind of use this program to basically find these superheroes. And, yeah, it's it's not pretty at all. And it, it basically makes World War Two go kind of skewed as a result of this superhero versus warlocks war. When when uh, Captain America starts, um, which is you know around World War Two, um, mm-hmm. they and they do this in the Captain America movie as well, the first Avenger or whatever. Um, the superheroes counteract each other. So on one side we've got you know the super soldier program Captain America. On the other side we've got Red Skull or whatever they're doing, and then so those two fight. And then that lets the Battle of the Bulge and all that other stuff happen. So it's like they nullify themselves out and they have to do this. Otherwise, the history doesn't make sense, right? Because this is supposed to be compatible um, with um, history. Um, 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 yeah, um, yeah, yeah, this, yeah. This is hidden history, secret history yeah. instead of all history. It doesn't, you know, so he's allowed to, Captain America punches out Hitler, but he can't kill him, right? Um, uh, but I was, I was kind of interested in, uh, Red Guardian. It's not a character I had ever, uh, Oh, read. from Black Odo? Yeah. Uh, from the Avengers, you know, uh, uh, he's a 1967 superhero, but he's, he's the communist uh, answer to, to Captain America. Do you know anything about him, Evan? Yeah, he shows up. Well, he was in that movie, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Other than that, I, I, I like, cause he, in the sixties, he's a communist. Right. But now he's like just, you know, he's in prison at the beginning of the movie. Um, I, I thought what they did was, you know, turning him into uh, the Americans, that, that great TV show, um, you know, a dad. And I mean, the movie actually works really well as it's oh, found family or it's not even found. It's more like a, a, a fake family. Right. That is a real family or whatever with the mom and the two sisters and the dad. Um, but I, I was like, I want to sort of know what Red Guardian thought of communism because <laughs> then there would be something happening. But I don't know that under the comics code, could they, uh, you know, it wasn't explicitly banned exactly. So I guess this is, you guys are maybe yeah. if Will was here, he would know the answers to these things. I was, I was hoping for that in the movie, the Black Widow movie. Instead, they made him a Captain America fanboy, right? Yeah, sort of. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's play, it's he's played for comedy more than anything, which is fine. It was it was entertaining. Boy, boy, boisterous brawler sort of type. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, he's breaking some guy's arms in the prison, and it was fine. It was fine. It was a good movie. Um, well, you know, they know what they're doing sometimes. Whatever. I guess we're done with superheroes, huh? I think we're, I think I we think are so. done with superheroes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the emoji I like now. They, or there's a gif of uh, TC from Magnum PI dusting his hands off. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> no more pornographic materials in this. Oh episode. yeah, what about that, Mike? So, what were you surprised to see that they they like? I mean, the the government going in and searching kids' pockets <laughs> is horrible. That's an, an interesting way to go in. We're looking for pornographic materials in your lockers of the ten-year-olds, and they right found now. some. And of course, they found some. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the older kids had some. Uh-huh. Um, uh But it, I, I was kind of, you know, like, um, I, it's not that they're not allowed to have it in these magazines. It's that it's surprising to see it, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. That it be mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's it, like, he could have said anything, right? Well, I mean, it, he, he may, he kind of made the case. It's so interesting. Westlake is such a strange guy because he is really smart and he's thinking things through, but he doesn't like gloat about it and he doesn't show off. You know, some writers, they're trying to show off that they, they know all these things and know. You know, I do that in my own writing. I'm like, oh, God damn it, Jesse's not showing off. <laughs> Just make the story better. Don't, don't try and, you know, but I can't help it. Whereas he's the opposite. He doesn't care about that. He's just more like, let's have fun. Um, but he also has these serious grounding things underneath. I, that's why I want to read more Westlake, even though this is not his best story uh, by any means. There's nothing wrong with it. It's the idea that's sort of, Poo-poo. <laughs> poo at the end, as the kid says. Poo-poo, wow. <laughs> poo, <laughs> mom told me. Right? Mom told me. <laughs> yeah. That's weird. Because uh, he, he had the idea. It wasn't just... Um, it is. It's like a superhero origin story uh, thought through. And, and in a weird format. You know, not comics. And it's 1961, uh, superheroes were a thing. They were just not uh, what we think of them as, you know, Avengers didn't start, uh, until, uh, 63. So he's way ahead of the game, you know, where you start teaming people up. Hmm. Well, he, he talks about that girl who she's got dark hair and good looks of a, of a, what do you say? Like TV hero or movie girl or Mm -hmm. something. And, and the whole thing has that kind of, you know, 30-minute TV show about it. It does. It does. All, all, you know, X-Men doesn't start... The very first X-Men, this is not the later one with Wolverine, doesn't start until 63. So he is, like, on the cusp of something. He could have probably mm-hmm. gone to work in comics, although it's, it wasn't great pay either. Um, and it was a lot of hard work. And, yeah, well, he did live in New York. Maybe he could have done it. Maybe he did do it. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe he says an, another pen name we don't know about. It's possible, but I don't think so. <laughs> we are we going to do any more Westlake? We have we have a couple more Edwin West stories. Yeah, I do. wanted like, I, Strange I, Affair. Yeah, are you going to uh, narrate that for us? Stall. I still have to do the Sin Street. Yes, please. Street of Sin. Yes, I only please. did one chapter of it. I'll get to it. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, definitely. I want to do more Westlake. This was one of the 
one of the ones on LibriVox that I had not read. No, this this in street's going to be fun because it's. I've only did the first chapter, but it's a fallen priest or fallen minister. Oh, right. yeah. Well, I've got the back. I've got the back jacket copy for that. Let me see if I can find it's, Sin Street. That's not Westlake, though. No, it's not. It's just a. It's some guy. We don't even really novel. know. Uh, <laughs> Sin Street. Let's see. Nothing coming up. Okay. Oh, do we know the author name? Street. Uh, oh, it's Bob Bristow. That's the one. Bristow. I have it here. Where the girls are young and available, the drinks are strong, and all a man needs is money. Sounds about right. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, and there's a, a blonde on the cover with a giant pearl necklace. Um, and uh, in the background, green something bar. Beds, 25 but, cents. Wow. This, this But even this book took the time to make a really awesome cover. Which, it is an amazing cover. Beautiful painted which, cover. They, they don't do anymore. Nope. Well, I, well, they, I wonder they, if this they, is because they, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that as an absolute. I mean, there's a lot less good covers. I mean, there there are there are art directors and artists who are working hard in the industry, but they're kind of almost like a drop of ink in a sea of blandness. A toner. But, the, yeah. but, there, but there are people who do actually try and give a damn. But they're, they're kind yeah, of. I'm hard. sure there are. There's a lot of books published. Yeah, but it used well, to be every paperback had a crackerjack cover, right? And now we have. Almost no paperbacks have anything worth looking at at I all. Think, I wonder if this is because like people used to really just go to the grocery store and there would be the book section and yep. you'd pick whatever looks yep. good. Oh, oh absolutely. And, so you need, mm-hmm. and now people, I guess they just go to Amazon and buy and they don't, the cover is not maybe as important as the, as the what the Goodreads well, rating flipping is. It over, flipping it over. Flipping it over. You know, yeah. uh, that's what those lists are for, that 50 books, right? Mm-hmm. It's As you pointed out, it's designed if it, it will be successful if people buy the books from the list that's what makes yeah. it successful and it's successful if people click on the on the thread and get google ad impressions and uh esquire gets cash from that sad story but what we want is is a a book that makes you say wow i want to read this and you flip it over and you say wow that's even better and then the one next to it is even more impressive for the same price so you pick that one but publishing is not, you know, it's it's not like fifty different companies all trying to sell you uh, good stuff. It's one big company, all trying to sell you tons of stuff that you know nobody's making any money on except for Amazon. That's the worst part about <laughs> it is shilling for Amazon. Oh well. well, I guess we're done. I think we are done. Yeah, I better go to sleep. Go to Get sleep, some Evan. Rest, Evan. Thank you. Sleep well, Evan. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio. For a few hours. I'll see you guys later. Yeah, record some more when you uh, get a chance. I want to hear that book. Thank you. Yeah, I'll work on it. Excellent. All right, what's Misa doing now that she's free of all these horrible uh, 
pressure points to try and get shows out in a short period of time? Well, um, working on the next season. Oh, okay. Um, no rest. But, no rest. No, I'm, I'm actually helping produce a theater festival in oh, May. Yeah. Wow. yeah, of uh, unknown female playwrights or lesser known. Um, and so uh, that's how come I read Busy Bodies the other week or nice. know about it. So uh, I'm actually um, – I won't be able to come to next week's um Okay, I'll show. strike you off. Uh, yeah. So we're preparing for that. We've got rehearsals all week for different shows. Um, so, yeah, it's getting all ready. Uh, how's uh, Kieran Dax doing? Kieran Dax are monstrous. Oh, as usual. As always. Yeah. yeah. As well, always. What can you do? They're cats. They they own you. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so all is well. All is well Good. here. How I'm are you? I'm okay. Um, I had a day off yesterday other than the one class and my mom's got, uh, she's had, was unable to get workers. Uh, the show I was recording, uh, show noting yesterday, yeah. um, Paul, uh, August 15th. I don't remember. I don't think Misa was on this one. It's, uh, it was recorded on August 15th and, uh, in the show notes for it, I say, um, I have to go barbecue for my mom later. Uh-huh. Uh, at the time I was saying that, she had fallen down and broken a bunch of her ribs. But really? She, oh, yeah. But she she eventually goes to the hospital, but I ended up doing the barbecue, and we kept expecting her to show up. She stayed in hospital for, like, oh, I don't want to, I don't know, it's, it's like maybe a month, maybe longer. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was like, I was living at her house. It was crazy. It was crazy. Um, but she had, you know, because of COVID, she didn't have a lot of workers. So I was filling in and I'm not, you know, the ideal worker for her. Um, because <laughs> uh-huh. I don't want to listen to what she tells me to do, even though it needs to be done. Um, so, uh, that was the thing. <laughs> and she, and, and crazy part, she had just gotten a puppy too. <laughs> Wow. So, so you're doing the uh, show notes and it threw you back there? Oh, my God. Yeah, well, it was the start of it, right? And so yeah. uh, whatever show note I do next week, I'm, you'll probably hear me very frazzled because uh, one night one night, um, I was you know, sleeping in her bed. I've got a pup, one, two puppies on the bed, one, one full-size puppy, one tiny little puppy. Oh. Um, and then uh, I woke up and everything smelled terrible and there was like dog diarrhea everywhere. <laughs> Oh, oh my god. god. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I was like scrubbing and cleaning and then I had, you know, to go to uh school and <laughs> oh. and um I'm like uh, somebody's coming to babysit while I'm at uh, in class and I said I did my best but I'm running out of time so oh my god. It was like uh don't uh, and the reason she stayed in hospital so long is cuz her second covid shot like Fucked her up real good. She like I remember uh, plate, you said, yeah, yeah. played yeah. stroke or whatever. It's terrible um, blood clots and uh, yeah, and uh, you know she, we were expecting her to come home that day, uh, the day of the dog diarrhea, but she didn't because of, she, that's the day they gave her her second shot. So it's like all of this is going to come back. Uh, and that's the the friendliness of six months. Recording into the future, right? Or seven months. Yeah. Wow. To find out what was happening, not last week, but 
what was happening six months ago. And I was talking, by the way, about the <laughs> it's a week's uh, worth time travel. The, it is. It is. Um, I was I was talking about the upcoming election. Remember in mm-hmm. September? It's so long ago, Misa. We had a federal election. <laughs> it feels like ten years ago, oh isn't it? God. Yeah, I kind of remember. It, it was now. like September. Now that you bring it up again, September thirtieth or something. And yeah. I, I, I was talking about how Justin's um, he bought a pipeline and says he's going to use the uh-huh. profits from it to uh, fight, <laughs> fight climate change. <laughs> I, I remember that. I remember that. Uh, yeah. And then I said, uh, and and nobody's going to punish him for it. He's going to get reelected. And what the fuck happened exactly? We we right. can't we can't uh, sink <laughs> any lower, says Jesse. Nope. Turns out we can. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse, past Jesse was optimistic. Yeah, and that's that's a sad story, Paul. That, that no, I I thought sadly enough when this whole began that a worst case scenario would be a hundred thousand people dying in the United States from COVID. That you did? That I was thought, your worst I, case I had scenario. No idea. Because so I was thinking, okay, this is going to be a virus. We'll lock down. We'll do fine, and it'll be some tens of thousands will die. It'll be horrible. But hundred thousand was the most I thought. And then like, oh, crap, how bad is it going to get? Million and counting. So, yeah. You know, the lockdowns were really a bad idea. That this is not even Jesse just telling you stuff. This is like the CDC and uh, more importantly, the WHO was saying it from the beginning. Lockdowns are a really bad idea. Um, and the thing is, you and I. Why were they a bad idea? Uh, well, there's a mental problems. That oh, cause, the mental, mental health problems. There's okay, mental yeah, health problems. Yeah. There's huge yeah. economic problems. So, in, yeah. you know, you and me, Misa, I got CERB. Did you get CERB? I did not. No. Nope. Sad story for you. I was always working from home. I was always working from Sad home. Sad story for you. I got CERB. <laughs> <laughs> Which was a fuck ton of money. Um, and cause I, I'm poor. Uh, that mm-hmm. was good. It was, it was the same money for everybody, right? But. Yeah. U.S. didn't do that. Um, and a lot of countries did do it and it was, you know, it was a compensation for the fact that this is going to be very difficult for a lot of people. But think of all the people who ran businesses. Like, I don't know how my boss, uh, managed to keep his business over this period of time paying rent. Either he's getting, he's getting a business serb or something because I'm not getting, uh, you know, all the restaurants that had to close huge financial hits to people, um, which causes, you know, not just health problems, but like people kill themselves over it and they, they, uh, you know, de- mentally deteriorate. Um, but, uh, it also didn't like, it didn't stop the communicable disease. And the, th- so the is idea- that what they fa- found? It didn't stop it? Didn't well, that's, that's the subsequent findings. Yes. But the, 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 who, the WHO was saying it's going to be a, a financial burden and, and it's going to kill more people than we yeah. think and it turns out that uh yeah it it also didn't stop the communicable communication of the disease but but what's so crazy is how many hospitals got built misa in your province because of covid uh, I, I don't know i i don't think the, any hospitals that's got correct built. and how many got built in british columbia zero and how many got uh, built in Paul's uh, city, Minneapolis? Is that right? Where you live? I'm a, yeah. Well, I live near Minneapolis, but close enough. But in near Mi- in near Minneapolis, how many got built, Paul? How many what? New hospitals got built. 
Zero. Exactly. That one closed. One closed? So stupid. Yes. Closed hospitals during the pandemic. It caused a lot of drama. I'm, I'm happy now. So it's but, not but the like the healthcare right here is kind of messed. It's it, it's it's a narrative. We control you. We're not spending money on you. You do what we say. And and the vaccine passport thing, like they're talking about that in 2016. And like, holy shit, are you serious? What? Yeah, exactly. About that in 2016. This Klaus Schwab guy, the uh uh what WEF is that what's called? World Economic Forum. <laughs> And, and get this, um, this Misa is so bad. Uh, Justin, you know, uh, his, uh, deputy prime minister, um, was trained by the WEF. Um, and so was our hero, um, uh, who I voted for. Well, not really his party, anyways. Um, Jagmeet. Jagmeet. Yeah. What about him? He was, he was in, the, he was trained by the WEF. And that's why, they're on the same team. You think, oh, no, they're on opposite teams. He's the nice one. Justin's the bad one. Mm-hmm. He just voted to, you know, support this illegal, um, you know, taking people's bank accounts away from them, taking people's property away from them, canceling their insurance under martial law. My mom says, it's not martial law. Yeah, you're in the party, lady. <laughs> she has a lifetime membership that they grant to honorees who've been service servicing the party. Well, really? you have to. Oh yeah. Well, she got that this year, right? Right. Well, it theoretically means so, she doesn't have to pay fees for being a party member anymore. Okay. But. Well. So, so what I've was the thing about passports in 2016 then? So they're, they're, they're talking about having vaccine passports in 2016. I got, I got about what though? Vaccine passports for what? Internal. It's an internal. Uh, it's basically, it's what they're talking about China having, you know, this social credit system where you're not allowed to yeah. do things. You know how in Quebec, you know, this crazy law in Quebec saying people were not allowed to get food unless they were vaccinated. Like they can't go yeah. to the grocery well, was store. It, was it food? Was it liquor or something? Yeah. So you couldn't go yeah. to Walmart uh, unless you were vaccinated. <clears throat> That's the law. You couldn't go to Costco. You couldn't go to Safeway. It had to be 1,500 uh, square feet or smaller to go to get your food. Mm-hmm. So what, you can go to 7-Eleven to get your, your, your dinner, to buy your groceries. Uh-huh. Why are they doing that? Because they can spread the disease? Well, it turns out that if you're vaccinated, uh, you can spread the disease anyways. Mm-hmm. And you're wearing the mask. Isn't that supposed to stop it? So, like, there are evil forces and they are trying to control us, like making you have an app on your phone that tells tells the border uh, whether you're <sighs> yeah. in compliance. And once they have this thing going, they can control you everywhere you go. That's the idea, right? That's di- this digital currency that... Uh, governments are trying to do not, you know, the free one, which is Bitcoin or all the other coins that are supposedly good. Although Bitcoin is crypto, for terrible. Me. No, it's good. Yeah, but 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 the way that they the way that they mine it is bad mm, for that, like everybody. That's not the, that's propaganda. Let me tell you why, Misa. Why is that propaganda? Jason? Okay, you know how there's all these banks everywhere. 
<laughs> like you mean bank banks? Yeah, like you know TD Canada Trust yeah. and Royal yeah. and Scotia, yeah. and they're everywhere, right? Um, they have physical employees, and those physical employees need to be heated in the daytime <laughs> and cooled in the summertime, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they have physical spaces that people are driving to in their cars. This is all using up energy. We never calculate that in when we look at the cost of Bitcoin. Bitcoin does all of the things that banks do in terms of transferring funds around, but that does it without any banks. Now, from what I from what I understand, though, it's the electrical cost, right? It's non non fungible. If you have the token, you have the money, but there's issues with that. But I've got to go because game people are calling me. So we should do the Warriors by Sol Yurik as an audio book. Oh, oh yeah. Um, Send me the link to the uh, audio book of that, and I will. um, uh, try and find a spot that will work in some people other than you it, and me. I'll put in the chat right here. Thank you, sir. Right now and go. Have there. a good one. Enjoy. See you guys. Bye, so, Paul. So tell me, Misa, where did you hear about this uh, Bitcoin being bad? My daughter. Aha! And where did she hear about it? Well, on all her environmental forums. Yes, indeed. Bitcoin is bad. <laughs> I'm typing it in for the environment. That's the very first thing that comes up. Yeah. Okay, listen. I'm going to read this article from the New Yorker, no less. The New Yorker wouldn't lie to you, Misa, just like Esquire. (laughs) (laughs) They're good, says some lady. Money, it's often said, is a shared fiction. I give you a slip of paper, or more likely these days, a piece of plastic. Oh, plastic's bad. Isn't our dollar made of plastic? Yes. Uh, Our dollar is made. Yes. You hand me eggs or butter or a white chocolate mocha frappuccino. See, this is the people who read the room. (laughs) New Yorker. They can afford white chocolate mocha frappuccinos. That's like eight bucks. I'm not that rich. <laughs> Only if I have a gift card from somebody will I go to <laughs> uh, that place. With cryptocurrency, the arrangement is more like a shared metafiction. And the instability of the genre is presumably part of the thrill. Dogecoin, a cryptocurrency, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so why is it bad? Okay. Uh, she's talking about the price. Okay. Mm-hmm. According to the Cambridge Brit- Bitcoin its Electricity Consumption Index, Bitcoin mining operations worldwide now use energy. Oh, oh at the rate of nearly 120 terawatt hours per year. Okay. I don't know. I don't know how much that is. Sounds big, right? It's Accor- apparently. This is about the annual domestic electricity consumption of the entire nation of Sweden. How many people live in Sweden? I do not I know. Do not. According to the website Digiconomist, a single Bitcoin transaction uses the same amount of power as the average American household consumes in a month. Mm. Uh, that is one million percent false. <laughs> I- I'll tell you why. I've mined okay. Bitcoin. <laughs> you have mined Bitcoin? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. And I have not. And when you're mining Bitcoin, what you're really doing is you're making your your internet connection a bank. Mm-hmm. So what when you're mining, what happens is people use your connection to verify, and it, it's a distributed check, right? So in this story we read, right, um, the guy uh, right at the beginning, he says, there were 12 people in the... Wow, it's very relevant now that I think about it. There were 12 people in the bank. There was Mr. Featherall at his desk refusing to okay a personal check from a perfect stranger. Right. Mm-hmm. So the, the, that guy's job is now gone yeah. under Bitcoin. 
Um, the guy who's trying to use this check, um, he doesn't have to go to the bank, right? So we agree that Interact is better than, you know, using a phone app is better than going to the bank, right? Environmentally. Yeah. Yeah. So when I am mining Bitcoin or whatever coin I'm mining, um, what, what's spinning in my computer is a, um, is a video card. Uh, the same thing that runs computer games like, uh, EverQuest or I don't know. What's a computer game, Misa? I don't play them. Minecraft? <laughs> <laughs> what about, what, what, what about? Pac-Man. What about, what's that one Paul plays? Wordle. Uh, oh, Wordle, I play that. Okay. So Wordle doesn't use a lot of graphic, uh, mm-hmm. GPUs, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, the one I play with Paul uh, called PUBG, Player Unknown Battlegrounds, does use a lot of graphics card. My, when, when I run my graphics card, my house electricity does not, my apartment electricity does not shoot through the roof. It's just a little bit of electricity, right? It's a little more than nothing. In fact, if I had all my computers going all the time, it wouldn't sufficiently heat my apartment in the winter, right? Mm-hmm. And there's thousands I'd, I'd, of transactions I'd, I'd, happening. <laughs> I don't think I don't think it's the individual transactions. From what I understand, it's the it's the mining, the mining. But that's what the mining is. Well, so like a when central- you're when you're mining, you are doing transactions. That's why the, the, you have to mine online. You can't mine off the grid, right? You can't like, uh, it's, it's like a, it's, it's, it, it's forced, the reason the mining exists is to force you to have an internet connection so that you can share your bank. So it has a route to check through and this prevents, um, exactly what they're trying to do to, Russia right now, right? Mm-hmm. Did you know Russia's like been banned from using, uh, this, what's called the SWIFT system, which is basically, um, you know, like Interact, yeah. right? Yeah. And they, they don't have Visa anymore. They don't have MasterCard and they don't have American Express, right? Um, mm-hmm. so how do they do their transactions? Well, Bitcoin would allow people to n- not be bannable you can't just ban people but visa mastercard and american express are under the thumb of whatever governments they're in the countries of right uh, most those are u.s companies but there's also british british investment you know it's it's the west basically um so if if they want to ban a country from using these things they can but if everybody was using bitcoin you can't ban anybody because I have an, uh, as long, unless you shut down the internet, right? Which right. is theoretically possible. But I, do, I think there might be a little, a few people on Facebook who don't like that idea. <laughs> the Wordle <laughs> people might not like that idea. <laughs> um, so it, it is, it is, yes, there is an environmental cost to running electricity, right? But nobody says on the other side what the environmental cost of running banks is. And it isn't like banks are way better, uh, at doing the transactions and than, uh, Bitcoin is. It's the same thing, but they're also replacing, well, this is the theory anyways. They're also replacing, um, the manufacturing of all these coins, like literal coins and literal bills, right? Now, ultimately you could say, my, you could say, guess what? 
it's all a scam because people are investing real money in this thing and it's it's uh going up and it's uh, it's gonna burst a bubble and all that that that's all true <laughs> right mm-hmm. i don't know anything about dogecoin or any of the other millions of coins or the nfts i don't know anything about that but the idea behind bitcoin is it's an uh, uninterruptible uh banking experience yeah and- i have heard that uh, <clears throat> i i don't i really don't know enough about it to land in any place mm-hmm. um <clears throat> well you don't you, your job is not to uh have to learn all these things <laughs> i mean if you if you were the prime minister and i was advising you then you should listen to me <laughs> right yeah because i've i've yeah. done a little bit and, of an investigation <laughs> i mined a few bitcoins you have yeah. and i can dis- debunk some of this but the reason there's so much uh, hate against it and propaganda against it is because it threatens power Right. Hmm. If you can trans, like what just happened, um, I said during the uh, trucker thing, what did the government yeah. do? They said your bank account ha- no longer works. <sighs> we are seizing your bank account. We're freezing it. How are those people supposed to pay their bills? They, they're not. That's the point. You have to comply. That's the whole thing. Yeah. Now, if, if we say, well, that's violence. Well, no, it's not. It's, it's, something else it's wrong but it's not violence but if they don't com- get them to comply by making them bend to the will what is their o- other alternative to physically go in there and violently remove them right well that's the f- yeah and they they did that too but um it was a it was a stick and a stick approach right one is a is a financial stick which is a place where everybody has to live because we i don't know anybody who doesn't have a bank account do you? Mm. I do have a bank account. Yeah. Yeah, but you don't know anybody who doesn't, right? Even homeless people probably have bank accounts. I don't know. Do you think? I think though uh, they probably don't have any money in them. Maybe, yeah. But yeah. um, I, you know, there's lots of different levels of homelessness too. There's lots of people with cars and <laughs> insurance who don't have a place to live. So yeah. Yeah, you're right. Everybody has a bank account. Pretty much, right? Mm-hmm. It's you get it when you're a kid. It's not even yeah, like, you do. right? Before you get a driver's license. So, uh, that's why it's important is because you can say, fuck you to the government. I don't have to listen to you. You can't freeze my bank account. And that's what we need to do more of. I don't mm. know. We got nobody to vote for now, Mysa, is what I'm saying. I know. I know, Jesse. I know. It's a travesty. <laughs> I don't know. We can't do anything about it. Sad story. Yeah, okay. sad story. We're, we're, we're working on our gardens and trying not to use our banks. Uh, uh, okay, I'm just going to go back to my book, um, World Domination Handbook, uh, <laughs> Evil Genius World Domination Handbook. That's <laughs> 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 Thanks, me comfort. Written by Klaus Schwab. <laughs> Klaus Schwab. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Talk to you later, okay. I assume. Okay. I don't know when, I don't know when you're next on the schedule. So, uh, I don't see anything. Oh, no, that's Marissa. Uh, It was next week, but I, yeah, other than that, I, I, I canceled you for that. You're canceled. I'm canceled. (laughs) Wow. I've, I've suddenly become more popular than I ever was then. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You and Joe Rogan. (laughs) Me me and Joe. (laughs) And Whoopi. Don't forget about Whoopi. 
Was she canceled too? She was canceled for like five. Yeah, she was canceled for two weeks from her show on The View, but then she was on Picard. So, oh, so there she's you go. Uncanceled. She's all back. Yeah, uncanceled. She should have listened um, to her Guinan's own advice, and then she wouldn't have said the things that she said that got her in trouble. I don't even know what she. What did she say? She said, um, uh, "Hitler didn't." <laughs> Anything starting with what? Hitler. Um, she, she's basically just a little bit ignorant about World War II. Um, mm-hmm. and she said, uh, racism against, uh, white people is different than racism against Jews. Um, you know, racism wow. in the United States with black people is different than racism for, for, uh, Hitler and Jews. And, and he says they're still white people or whatever. And the thing is, wow. is it, it was like just very badly informed. You know, she's just mm-hmm. a lady who's an actor, right? So yeah. she doesn't know about history. But she, the the place she's coming from is there is racism against black people in the United States. And this is different from the racism that Jews felt in in uh, Nazi Germany and before, I guess, right? I, you know, I don't actually have the quote at hand, so let's see. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm getting the gist of it. What's I her name? Uh, Whoopi. Whoopi. Oh, and by the way, Whoopi. that's not a real name, right? <laughs> Goldberg? Uh, really? <laughs> well, I mean, you never know. I thought it was when I was young. Uh, quote, uh, Hitler? <laughs> White people? <laughs> Canceled? How do I find this? Criticizes cancel should... culture. Okay. Addressing cancel culture, she says, because... Okay, now. Suspended from... Here it is. Oh, the Holocaust wasn't about race. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mr. <Ms>. Bird. <laughs> the thing is, is at the time, the, they believed in race. The Jews thought hey we're people we are a culture um you want to call us a race okay uh, the nazis definitely believed about race <laughs> so uh right wow it was oh she says here's the here's, after claiming the show on the holocaust was not about race but rather about man's inhumanity to man um it's because it's because she was saying you know Oh, yeah, it's related to the, wow, the banning of some Tennessee school district banning Mouse, citing nudity. Mouse. You know the the comic book, Mouse, M-A-U-S? No. Oh. No. It's basically uh, Arch Spiegelman was a uh, comics guy, and he wrote the story of his parents in the Holocaust. But he did it, yeah. uh, he did it as the, the Nazis were cats and uh-huh. the Jews were mice. Okay. And so it's it's the story of his of his family in the Holocaust. But yeah. his mom's a mouse. And at one point in the comic, um his his mom is, the mouse is in the showers, you know, to get yeah. concentration camped and she's nude, oh, yeah. but she looks like a human uh except for her head. And so that's uh-huh. why they're banning it cuz they said it was like inappropriate for young kids or whatever. Wow. So it's more about prudishness than it's about mm-hmm. like trying to ban Holocaust stories. Whatever. There's too many fucking layers, Jesse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what, what? How about this idea? 
I heard this. I thought this was really interesting. Most disagreements are not about, um, they're not about, uh, real disagreements. They're about disagree, disagree, disagreements about facts. So, um, uh, you say these people are inferior, and I say, Mice, you're so wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, right. Uh, I mean, you say that all the time, don't you? <laughs> I make judgment calls everywhere I go at all times. Oh my god. Um, so, um, when uh, I say that was a good movie, and you say, No, it wasn't, um, are we disagreeing about uh, the fact? That it was a good movie? I don't know. It's not not ideological. Yeah. I don't know. First, you have to define what a fact is, a true fact. How do you even get there? It's too hard. You're right. It is too hard. I just consult the giant book of destiny. Hey, um, now that the season is over, can I I give you all the seats? You want to package them up? I'll happily place them in the slot. Although, I want to make sure I haven't missed anything because I... I, I kept, like, I was not realizing that they were going to be a bunch back to back. I was like, oh, it's only half hour. That's kind of short. And then there was like three of them. Is that how many there were? <laughs> There's six. Six. Oh my God. Six. I've heard a couple. I, I, I have not heard the latest. Uh, I have it. It's on my phone. Hold the, hold, hold on, on tight. tight. Hold we on tight. To, we have to listen to them in order. You know, I, I did listen to them in order, but it's been, oh, okay. you know, so uh, the latest one. I haven't. Oh, I haven't heard the poisoned one yet either. Oh, that one just came out today. It looks like. Oh no, two days ago. Hold on tight came out two days ago, and the yeah, they were they were coming out on Fridays. I still I still have fungal fuel. I haven't read that one or heard that one yet either. Okay. So that's number. I think that's number four. So you've, you've really? probably heard. I think so. Okay. Well, maybe. I'm not I'm not sure. You know, it probably doesn't show the ones I've already heard. Because I would have listened. Oh, here's one. Episode one. Protesters have shown. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I turned my phone and now it went away. Uh, yeah, it says season four, episode one. So what was the episode, the previous season called? The previous season was called Breaking the Timeline see. or something. That sounds like something we have. Uh, type in Misa. Uh, that would be an audiobook, I think. Okay, I have uh, that special agent. Uh, <coughs> so, Destiny of Special Agent. Then I have yeah. Ace Galaxy Space Dick at Large. That'd be season two, is that right? Yeah, that would be season two. And then Fixing the Timeline is season three? Yeah. So and this one, Protesting the Future. Yeah, absolutely. Four. Slap it together. Okay. Um, and uh, give me the five, you know, same. You've got really good art this time, by the way. Um, oh, thanks. I think it's like getting better. <laughs> It's the same artist. No, but the artist is getting better. She's getting better, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I I liked... uh, So the latest one is not the best one, but the one with the... What was the blue... There it is. That one's really good looking. Um, Episode 5. Episode 5. What's it called? Uh, Eternity Eraser. Oh, Eternity Eraser. Yeah. And then uh, one before (laughs) that, Fungal Fuel. That's good. Yeah, yeah, she did good. She did good. She did a good job. It's Phoenix. Phoenix is the artist. Uh, how do we spell it? Phoenix. P- like, Phoenix. Like regular. The ship. Yeah, the the girl that plays Phoenix. Okay. Okay. It's the R. Oh, I see. 
I thought you were saying the name of the artist was Phoenix. Yeah, no, her name is Lisa. Her name is Lisa, but the girl that plays, yeah. The character of Phoenix. The character of Phoenix, yeah. All right, yeah, um... That's cool. Yeah, slap it together. Um, no rush because I'm six. Yeah, months I know ahead. there's no rush. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty excited about the next season. It's going. It's on. It's standalones this time, and one of them features the Muppets. Jesse, I, I like go to Hanson's World. Hanson's World. Nice. I like the yeah. Muppets. Did you see that? Um, there was a coffee ad uh, by Jim Henson. Series of no. coffee ads. They're really good. Uh, they're in black and white. Jim Henson. Coffee, what's it called? Wilkins? Is it Wilkins? Uh-huh. Uh, here's one. Yeah, I guess there's, he did more than one. This is 1957. 1957? Yeah. Uh, let's see if this... Okay. You know what? Was he showing I'm... coffee before? Yeah. And they're, they're good. They're like really know. short. Okay, so I'm going to type in Henson Coffee commercials here here's here they are okay buddy what do you think of wilkins coffee i never tasted it (laughs) what do you think of wilkins that's pretty good oh it's so cute (laughs) jim henson's coffee ads but they keep getting more sadistic really okay i'm gonna have a look at them yeah that says 14 minutes um yeah that's good fabulous (laughs) like <laughs> it's like it's gonna be guillotined for not drinking the coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Excellent. in favor of this. <laughs> I think this is gonna be the highlight of my day. <laughs> yeah, probably. It's, it was very enjoyable. I've seen them a couple of times over the years, and I was like, yeah, they're really fun. <laughs> uh, it makes me want to have some coffee, <laughs> lest my head yeah. be chopped off. All right. <laughs> Thank okay. you, Misa. Well, thank you. It was fun. Yeah, I'll see you on the internet and find something uh, we can fit into your schedule. Something nice and short. Thanks. I'm. I'm. Yeah, March is not good for me. No. Uh, okay. But yeah. but uh, after that, I, it should clear up a bit in All April. Right. May. It Sounds clear good. Up a bit. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Heard anything from Misa? But I'm hoping she's going to join us. And I haven't heard anything that- from Will. Oh, she's yellow. That's bad. She's uh, ye- yellow. Yellow is bad. Got to be yellow. Hey, good morning. Ah, I did it again. Good morning. Good morning. Good hey, morning. we got uh, we got my side. I was I was saying you're yellow. That means uh, that's a bad sign. You're here. I was yellow. Yeah, your icon was not green. Your was icon yellow. was yellow. Really? Yeah. Why? Why? No, no. Um, I'm I haven't heard anything from Will lately. He's been very quiet. Uh, I mentioned, hey, Will, you're very quiet. He said, yeah, I'm really quiet. <laughs> oh, okay. So we'll see. Um, I got a joke for you. I got to tell you before I forget it. Apparently, it's a Zizek joke. What's a Zizek joke? Zizek. Zizek. Slavo Zizek, if you know who he is. No. He's he's a fun character. Okay. <laughs> he's a... <laughs> he's a, he's a He's a comedian of sorts. He is, and a philosopher of sorts. Yeah. Um, he's a, I think he's, he's a Yugoslavian, uh, I don't know what state, Serbian? I don't know. Probably not. He's some Slovenia. Slovenian? Okay. Yeah. He and, uh, but yeah, he was born in Yugoslavia, so let's, let's call him that. He was All born right. in the good one. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, and, uh, he's got a bunch of hilarious mannerisms that probably drive him nuts, but, uh, are just entertaining to watch. Uh, <laughs> he's a great character. Anyways, um, this is his joke, uh, from, from what I just heard on a podcast that wasn't from him. Um, uh, a rabbi, a businessman and a cleaner walk into a, uh, Jewish temple. What are they called? I should know this. Synagogue? Synagogue! There we go. Didn't come to mind. Um, the rabbi prostrates himself and says, Oh God, I'm not worthy. Businessman prostrates himself. Oh God, I'm not worthy. The cleaner prostrates himself. Says, God, I'm not worthy. And the businessman and the rabbi say, Fuck off! That's the joke. <laughs> oh, that, that's not a nice one. <laughs> not, a nice not a nice joke we only like nice jokes <laughs> I guess nice jokes would be I like, didn't say we only I did not say that you're right you didn't say that I'm I'm you're, 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 teasing you're making, out you're, you're making an inference that may yes. not necessarily I'm, be justified uh, it's not an inference I'm teasing out your your uh, logic let's hear what what's a what's the, your favorite kind of joke? Mine, sure. Puns, yes, of course. Puns, puns oh, are. Yeah. I mean, I mean puns are surprised by this. Well, I mean, puns are um, generally inoffensive, right? Generally, they're inoffensive. Yes. I, I like a shaggy dog story as long as it doesn't go on too long. <laughs> um, I see you've been putting out a lot of shows lately. Well, that's the end of my season. I, yeah, I yeah. Well, do it. So, uh, yeah, I put up a lot, and now you're gonna. Now I'm gonna be quiet for a while again. Like Will. <laughs> I've kind of become quiet too. Yeah, I, you've <laughs> just been doing the Civil War stuff. I, I've been having trouble keeping up with everybody. Um, there, there's yeah. a lot of everything I've, in the universe. Mice, you're a little too close to your mic, I think. Oh, am I? How's this? I don't know. Keep talking. Oh, okay. So I've moved back a little bit. Are you, are you rocking your Yeti still? Yeah. Okay. Try unplugging and plugging it back in because I, I think there's it might not be proximity. Okay. We'll see what happens when that, that does. Hold on. Better? Oh, no. It's not plugged in right now. Maybe the settings are strong, uh, wrong. Uh, you got set, a uh, set to cardioid. Um. Okay, just one second. What's oh, the third one, the the one that looks like heart. a heart apple with a bite taken out of it. Uh, it's a heart. It is. That's where it already is. Okay. Yeah. It's is not. Is it still too too uh, hot? It's it's. There's something with it. It's sometimes a little. Gets, yeah, I don't know how to describe it either. Should it, is the gain is the gain too high? Maybe maybe it's the gain. The volume. Done. My gain's just uh, just under half. Okay, how's this now? It's just under half. It's That's better. Good. Keep going. Tell us. Uh, go, tell us about go, your. Go, go lower. I don't know. I don't know if that's even the problem. There. How's how is it now? It's good. Better? It's good when you're talking. However, you're facing right there, so it might okay. be a proximity thing. Okay. There. 
Yeah, it's I won't not... move. I won't move for the rest of the podcast. But right now it's as bad. <laughs> now it's bad again, really? Yeah, I mean, it's not okay. horrible, but it's not great. How about now? How about now? It's, you're far more distant, so can we cut that in half? So closer again. There. <laughs> I'm not trolling <laughs> you, I promise. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Okay, how's this? It's better. It's more roomier. It's still not good. Well, it's it's got room noise, but it doesn't have that that issue, whatever it is. That's really weird. I don't know what's because it's never. I have it hasn't. Nothing yeah. has changed. Yeah, I mean. Here, uh, I'm, I'm gonna unplug it from my computer and plug it yeah, back in. Yeah, that's the best thing to to see what effect that has. Okay. I'm gonna see if uh, Will is on Twitter. Change to Yeti. Okay. Maybe. Oh. Are you joining us? Uh, okay. We can hear you. You know, maybe it's not, maybe it's coming in through two mics. Well, I don't know. Um, it's a, on Skype, it says microphone is Yeti. Okay. Oh. Yeah. So that's yeah. good. Yeah. Tap on, tap on it with your finger. Yeah, that's definitely it. <laughs> that's definitely it. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sorry. It's okay. The level it's you're okay. at is fine now. It's not It's not ruinous. It's I not just, ruinous. It's not yeah. great. It's not ruinous. No, it's more roomy than it normally is, right? Which is not mm. ideal, but it's better than the whatever the too, too close sound is. Right. Okay. It sounds perfect now. <laughs> Does it really? Now it doesn't. <laughs> Jesus. So it's just, it's, um, that's very finicky. It is. I've, I've not experienced this problem before. No, neither have I. What? I mean, obviously, because you're the one that. Sorry. It. Sorry. Oh, wait, I'm getting echo. Who's that from? Me again. Really? Do you have, uh, headphones? Earbuds? Um, I do have headphones. They're not plugged in. Uh, can you grab them? Yeah, 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 just one. All right, now, now anybody got any more Zizek jokes? <laughs> um, no, I'll, I'll remember maybe. some. He's got the, there's one that he told about the, I don't know, I think this was some old Soviet joke about, like, the Mongols and grabbing balls or something. Wow. I'll have to look up. Wow, that, that went dark. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's something like. No, I th- no, I think it's uh, the Mongols come into the town and and tell the guy like I'm going to rape your wife, but I need you to hold my balls so they don't get dust on the ground, like, dust on them from the ground, or wow. whatever. And then and then it's something about how he like saves face in the this process. It's something about sub- being sub submissive to authority or whatever. Wow, this is uh, some talk. This He's is, told it several times, though. I heard it in a couple of talks. This I, is the Derrida the joke that I said was a Zizek joke. I just looked up uh, joke, Zizek jokes. It says, there is an old Jewish joke loved by Derrida about a group of Jews in a synagogue publicly admitting their nullity in the eyes of God. First, a rabbi stands up and says, oh, God, I know I am worthless. I am nothing. After he's finished, a rich businessman stands up and says, uh, says beating himself on the chest, oh, God, I am also worthless. Obsessed with material wealth. I am nothing. This is much better than the one I said earlier. After this spectacle, a poor ordinary Jew 
also stands up and also proclaims, Oh God, I am nothing. The rich man kicks the rabbi and whispers in his ear with scorn. What insolence. Who is that guy who dares to claim yeah. he has nothing to? Much better. Much better. Yeah. Same idea. I, yeah. I, I rather like it. Here's a, here's a Yuri Gagarin one. Uh, a joke from the early sixties. Nice, nicely renders the paradox of the presupposed belief. After Yuri Gagarin, the first cosmonaut, made his visit to space, he was received by Nikita Khrushchev, the general secretary of the Communist Party, and told him confidently, You know, comrade, that up there in the sky I saw heaven with God and angels. Christianity is right. Khrushchev whispers back to him, I know, I know, but keep quiet. Don't tell this to anyone. Next week, Gagarin visits the Vatican and was received by the Pope, who, to whom he confides, You know, Holy Father, I was up there in the sky and I saw there is no God or angels. I know, I know, interrupts the Pope, but keep quiet. Don't tell this to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cold, but it works. <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> Good. All right. With headphones you, so on. You might need to... Oh, I have some pre-show thing to talk about. Okay, good. Uh, Misa, can you... the art show I went to. Uh, one sec. Uh, Misa, can you make sure that your headphones are going through your... In that same thingy? Can you check uh, and see if, if it says it's going into your Yeti, if you're plugging into your Yeti? Oh, I didn't plug it into my Yeti. I plugged it into the computer. Just one moment. Try plugging it into your Yeti and then try plugging your... Uh, yeah, change it. Okay. I do want to hear about your art show, Evan. And uh, you, you didn't take any pictures, right? I think they said no pictures. Okay. No pictures? Fuck them. No one else was taking pictures. I was in Taiwan, so if no well, one was you, taking pictures. You, you don't not, want to get thrown in prison. Um, anyways, it was Alphonse Mucha, I think. Mucha mm -hmm. Mucha. You know this guy? Nope. Alphonse no. Mucha. So you can look up, just type in like his... His types of his style. He did posters, so he was part of this like. Oh yeah, I do know this guy. Posters, and um, like always, girls, right? Always yes, women. Coffee ads, and like often sets of four in a lot of his, and uh, you know, advertisements, cigarette ads, and, mm -hmm. the, and the show had a lot of his studies and some of his some of the lithograph prints and stuff. So it was, was kind of cool to look at. And it's I, all I fucking public domain when they're not letting you take fucking pictures. Jesus yeah. Christ. Fuckers. I don't know. Anyways, most of this stuff is reproductions because, I mean, I, it's, yeah, I don't know. I didn't take pictures, but you could probably find most yeah. of this stuff online anyways. Um, but anyways, two, two things I realized. One is because earlier that day I had made a post on Twitter about how shitty the Stephen King covers have become. Mm. Um, and they're really bad. I mean, they're, they're, no, I mean, generally covers are pretty bad. But these are even worse. I mean, really, it's the same font, so they didn't even create a different font for each book. And then it's just like one image and one color that's chosen. It's like ten minutes on a computer. It yep. looks like that's how long it took to make these. Yeah. Um, and then you compare that to like the original cover of Misery, which is a work of art in itself, and it's got another secondary cover with a romance novel kind of cover because mm. there's a novel within the novel mm. in that right. book, right? It's so good, and like they're not all great, but a lot of them are really wonderful. Like the original cover to it, it's just great. There's, and, there's, but it, anyways, right. my point was like Muka. A lot of what he did was was like posters and advertisements and promoting for like theater things. And he he did a lot of like a uh, book plates and stuff. And they're so good. 
And and then another thing he did was magazine covers. And I think magazine covers are even worse now, right? Like the Economist will just have a picture of Ukrainian flag and the headline will be, "What's the fate of Ukraine?" And that's the cover, right? Who wants to buy that? Or a picture of Putin? Yeah, right. just a picture of Elon Musk, Person of the Year. Yes, ever. It's uh, no, it's so lazy. And he did these. Uh, uh, I think it was uh, who's that? Hearst, Hearst Weekly or something. Mm-hmm. He did a couple covers for. I think it's Hearst Weekly, and they're so. Elaborate, and you see that because we saw the studies and the photos he based this off. How much work went into making them? Mm-hmm. It's just I was, so I was really depressed about the state of covers. I was thinking the other it. thing I noticed is there was a whole thing here. It was it was on the display. It was part of it because you you never have enough of the original work, so you 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 have the context around it, right, mm-hmm. for these exhibitions. And part of it was how mag, magna, like Japanese girly Ma- manga, comic, manga, manga, yeah, that stuff. Basically started with the Buka's work being brought in by Japanese oh, who were in Paris when he was there and took his classes and just directly plagiarized his work in Japan. That's how you do it. And they had examples of like direct plagiarism. Interesting. And, and that's why we have manga because this guy was plagiarized. So if he had done like a copyright claim to these Japanese artists, I think – is that wheel coming like, in, or is that Misa microphone fiddling? That's me. I'm trying to try and changing computers. Oh, okay. So yeah. it's confirmed to these two things. One is that copyright is bullshit, and second is um, art covers sucks suck today. Co- yeah. Covers covers are horrible now. Um, uh, can you imagine? You know how movie posters are supposed to make you want to see the movie when you go to the theater? Oh, they're horrible now too. They're bad too. Yeah. They they are getting worse for sure. Like uh, I was thinking, like Baby Driver. That's a movie I've seen, right? Mm-hmm. And it it's I basically I think it's like pink, and there's a pair of sunglasses, and there's a guy looking, and maybe he's got like a candy can. You know, it's almost now that I think about it, maybe I'm thinking of the movie Lolita. It's like a male Lolita. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I have to look it up now. Baby Driver movie poster. I mean, this is kind of relevant, so this might be a save it for the podcast thing, but I'll, I'll post this because I, I was just looking at it. Yeah. Because I was saying, oh, There's... when is this movie going to come out? Because I'm, I'm probably going to have to suffer watching this. Look at this poster. It's dumb on its own. Firestarter. Put it in this yeah. It's dumb on its own. It's a copy of the, the Drew Barrywood one, right? Yeah. The one yeah. from the 80s. It's a direct copy. It's as lazy as the cover on the new book edition of Firestarter, which is very similar. It's just just uh, one color. Oh, my God. It's... The, that, the trailer looked bad, too. It's You know what it is? It's, this is one of their best books. It's just a member flash. berries. They're saying, remember Firestarter? Like, that's the... Uh, like. Okay, there's a lot of Baby Driver movie posters, and some of them have, you know, the 16 heads of the actors in it. But some of them are just a pair of sunglasses, and mm-hmm. uh, it's they're pink. Um, but yeah, uh, maybe that's where it tr- that trend started. You remember the Lolita poster? Yeah. Holy keyboard! Oh yeah, we can tell myself. <laughs> oh, um, can you hear us? We can hear you. No. Yeah, of course you couldn't hear us. But only your keyboard. You can? <laughs> yep. Now we hear you, yeah. They were typing something. 
and your voice. Well, this this okay. covers. Okay. Oh yeah, just jam on all the actors, right, and all their names. That's what you do. Yeah, There's a lot of movie posters now. Well, I mean, that's how you sell movies in a certain sense. But if, if I'm looking at the Lolita poster, and it's uh, the girl with the sunglasses that are shaped like hearts, yeah. um, and she's got uh, the sucker in her mouth, right? So mm-hmm. it's like it is a style, but this is actually the minimalist style that sort of has come to dominate. It's it, it's maybe it's from what was the soup can guy? Warhol. <laughs> Warhol, yeah. right? When I see Warhol, I don't think, wow, genius. I think, wow, how is this popular? Like, there's no skill involved. Yeah. It's it's all about, it, it It seems to me it's it's like that uh, Duchamp uh, fountain, right? He's yeah. saying, fuck you, give me money. <laughs> you idiots, give me money. <laughs> I went to the hardware store right before I came here, and I got this. <laughs> now I'm putting it on this... Uh, display space and i'm writing writing fountain on the card next to it fuck you you give me money when you write the show notes and you you tweet this out six months from now you're gonna have to say jesse cancels andy warhol in your tweets well it's not like you are canceling him he's dead (laughs) you can cancel dead people I don't. I don't cancel. You people. can say people They're suck already canceled. without canceling. I, I know. Yeah. I, I, I. I mean, I, I think anybody I'm not who a fan thinks of he's art. So I'm not defending. I'm I, not defending his aesthetics at all. I, I think he's doing exactly the same thing as Duchamp was. But I know that Duchamp had some skill because he did some stuff yeah. other than that, right? I think that that was him. Like what they call that ready-made, right? Because <laughs> they go to, like they walk on the beach and they find a stick and they say. This is art. <laughs> it was ready made. Like well, art, no. Art, art, well, art art is what you say is art. It may not not be art that speaks to you in any sense whatsoever. And you go and you squinted like, huh? But I mean, if someone says something is art, it's art to them. It may not be art to you. What if they're lying? <laughs> well, oh, that's a that's a different that's a different proposition. But that's my point. Duchamp this, was fucking lying. If they're being cynical, or he's so up his own ass and sniffing his own farts that he's lying to himself, right? <laughs> so you can't just use the eh, whatever anybody says is true for them because sometimes it's not. That's true. People can be lying to others to themselves. Indeed, so, uh, indeed. Fair points. Speaking of which, um, I don't think Misa saw. I, it. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. And does it sound better? It sounds the same or approximately the same. So it might be a hardware problem with the mic. Um, Maybe the mic is dying. It's sounding good right this second. So yeah, but it's going to go bad again, right? Maybe any second. Maybe I, I have heard that um, it, your mic might be too old, but uh, I've ha- I've have have heard that people have uh, gotten replacements from Blue. Really? I have heard that. Yes. And since this is a famous podcast, and you can apply the pressure of that, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, especially since this is in the most important part of the show. Right, of course. <laughs> you can apply extreme pressure and say, you know, I, don't I know people. Bill. I don't know when I bought this, but I know people. That's right. I know people. I found, it on, I found it in a dumpster on the side of the road. It doesn't work. Give me a replacement that's new. What can you do for me? That's right. What? No, it's what I can do for you. How can you get me into a new microphone today? <laughs> yeah, for free. 
You're right. Okay. Well, this is as good as it gets. This is the new computer, old microphone. Yeah, I don't think old I don't computer, I, old microphone. Yeah, I don't think it was the Oh, it, it's is it's the same microphone, right? Same microphone, yeah, yeah. different computer. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a microphone problem now that I, you know, we know that. Sad right. story. So, um, Micey, you probably didn't see it. I probably didn't send it to you. There was a Esquire article. I know mm-hmm. Evan read it. Um, Paul, did you see this oh, yeah. Esquire article? Yeah, yes, because because you, because because I said save because you you uh, DM'd it to me and I said save it for the podcast. Did you? Okay. I, I and I thought you I thought you had s- sent it to me because you reacted to what I said about it. Uh, I did I don't know what did you say about it? Oh, let's tell Misa what uh, it is. It's it's a list of the best of all time uh-huh. <laughs> fantasy books. It's the canon essentially. I'll just read the headline. Uh- well, well, Fantasy well, is the oldest genre of literature, but its best release ever landed just six years ago. Here, Adam Organ rounded up the be- the 50 best fantasy novels of all time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, yes. <laughs> what did you say? What did you want to say, uh, Paul? Um, I, I, t- I take, uh, issue with the idea that best equals canon. Oh, I agree. I, that's what yeah. I said in my thing. I said, fantasy is 4,000 years old, but a licensed computer game tie-in novel and more than half of the best fantasy novels ever written are from the 21st what? century. Amazing. Uh, apparently, there is a <laughs> canon for fantasy and it is incredibly short-sighted. I, no, I did no. see that. I did see that message. Okay. And, and, but but, but here, here's my point. I think that, and lots of people miss it, I think there's a canon for, and a best list for everybody, it's hard. It's <laughs> harder than you think to come up with a best of any type of book because because individual tastes are just so idiosyncratic. You, you you can point to say that okay, that book has quality, but can you really say that a book that doesn't speak to me is best? It speaks to you, it may not speak to well, me. Well, but I, if you saw well, my, I don't think that's what we're saying. Yeah, or at least I, I don't okay. think that Paul. I think. Yes, that's obviously true, that everyone has different tastes. I'm doing just for fun, waste time, tier lists, because I, I can't get back into my regular podcast um, lately. So I've been doing the, Stephen, King, Stephen lists. King tier lists. Yes. And it's, yeah, it's subjective, right? And sometimes I do throw in opinions that are bound to maybe annoy other fans or whatever, right? Like I put the breathing method as an S tier, uh, just what kind of S- for fun. What does S tier mean? That's like the best, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah but it, why it, is it, it S? Well, it's because whoever made... At, yeah, your list. whoever came up with this came there. up. Yeah, you can change they, it. You can make it A, B, C. Well, well, the, well, well, the tiers are generally S, A, B, C, D, F. Why? Why? Um, S, S for superlative. Superlative? Superlative, I believe. It's just for fun. It's just for but, fun, Jesse. It's, yeah, I know it's that. Kind it's, of, just, it's kind of like the I've standard paradigm of how these lists go yeah. that above A is S. Yeah. Oh. But you see, you see I, it for like lists of best sibs to play. The best ones civilization. are not A, they're S. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I, just, I guess my, my – well, first of all, Adam Morgan, it, it's – when you go to his Twitter and mm-hmm. you go to the responses to it, he actually admits – Yes. I don't know if you saw this, I Jesse, did, just this morning. Paul, he, he admits, I basically skewed this to modern writers because something like older writers already get that. So he's not he, – he admits he wasn't trying to make a best of list. He was trying to make a red list to essentially promote recent fantasy. So he's lying to his audience 
in order to it's like it's like when Fauci says you don't need to wear masks because it's we need to keep those for the people who really need it. He's lying mm-hmm. for our best interests. In which case I say, you fucking gaslighter, don't gaslight me, you fuck. Um, but you're right. I mean, it, it is broken from the, from the word go because of the headline and the premise being these are the best, but actually we all know these aren't. He, he was probably given an impossible task, right? And he accepted that impossible task yeah. and he's getting heat for it. Whatever. Um, but uh, Paul, you, you know, you're right. And I acknowledge, you know, so some, some, somebody named Alice, uh, said, what would you put in a fantasy canon? I, I, I was kind of regretting even talking about it because now I feel like I have to put my money where my mouth is. And this is fucking kind of work. Your fantasy canon. <laughs> well, let's, let's reframe this. Uh, no, no, it doesn't say yours. It says, ah, well, I, I am. I, I'll read it. I, what would okay. you put in a fantasy canon if you put together a list of 10 books from more than 50 years ago? They need to stand the test of time. What would be on it? I said, this is a massively difficult idea to execute. Well, first thing I would do is determine what other SFF canons exist in parallel to the fantasy can- canon. Only novels? Then we need to define novels. If there's a weird fiction canon as well, that would move a it's- lot of things around. However, if just... Think of the list of time-tested stories of any length. I could think of a whole lot of people's writings to put on it. People or works I would point to include, and then I make a, a list. And on that list, um, or maybe it's not on this list, but I was thinking like some things are worth reading. And, or no, that was in the show notes yesterday. I was show noting. Um, you were encouraging Will to read The Marching Morons. Yes. And and then I said and immediately said, after, a good story. it's a yeah. bad story, and we both agree you should read it. <laughs> um, it's in the canon, oh God, whether you like I, it or not. I, I kind of like the show we're up. We're going to be doing shortly on um, on um, what's uh, almost and um, cold equations. No, not not almost, but uh, what's it called? Um, blah blah blah. Cold equations. Cold equations is a terrible story, but oh, I haven't read it's it an yet. Story. You spoiled you it for read, me, Paul. Oh Jesse! Oh Jesse! <laughs> but, but, you know, I want to go back to the whole point of SF canons because my friend Sean Duke, you know Sean Duke, wow. he runs the Skiffy and Fanti podcast yeah, and all that stuff. He's 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 got a PhD. <laughs> he's got, yes, he's, he's, he blocked you. He just find you annoying, Jesse. I, I am annoying, with, clearly. Yeah, bear with me. Yeah, he's, I'm bearing. He's got a PhD in Caribbean studies. He teaches science fiction. He does all this. He's been trying to. Ever since this whole that whole thing with right good came up and stuff, mm, he's and this and 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 this whole idea of what is the SF canon, he's been researching the history of science fiction and trying to figure out well what is the SF canon anyway to find it. And it's a slipperier thing. Oh, I co- I quote tweeted that too. That was actually a really interesting thread. And um, I mean, he's, I, he's 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 buying and obtaining a whole bunch of books to try to figure this problem out it's not a simple problem that we can even discuss here wow it's apparently a lot more it's a lot more complicated than people think what i'm hearing is it's above my page yeah but i think we i think we're saying it's not these 50 books well yeah, for sure even or and I, these 50 right. books cannot be the best there's no way these are the best 50 look books. there's probably even a good book in there i would argue oh, yeah. not even subjectively for the author who put together this list the author is taking the piss it is true on on the other, I, I mean, if, if the goals are trying to come up with the fifty best books of all of fantasy of all time, then this list 
fails that goal. I mean, if his goal is to point people at modern books, I mean, let's look at this list. Number one on the list is the fifth season by N.K. Jemison, which is pretty damn solid. I mean, the whole trilogy. I haven't read is, it, but a lot of people okay. are disputing it being number one fantasy book of all time. Well, he, he's got number two, Fellowship of the Ring. Number three, Earthsea. I haven't uh, read Earthsea yet. Uh, number four is uh, Can Lose the Grace of Kings. Number five, Who Fears Death. These are all um, modern ones. Those, yeah. Hero Born by Jin Young. I never read that one. That one's kind of... Doc, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Morale, who has a lot of fans. Stranger in a Longier, that's nice. That's pretty good. Cersei by Madeline Miller. That's a very recent book. That That, um, that is a recent book. Miss the Book of Atreus. Um, that, that that's the video game. Well, apparently, of- a lot of people think that that is like a, a really nice dark horse pick, even though uh, they don't think it deserves to be in the top fifty of all time. They think, wow, that's actually a really I mean, nice choice. Skipping around a bit, we got Kindred at number Octavia Butler at number twelve. We got Gene Wolf, a Gene Wolf book later on the list at fourteen. We got C.S. Lewis at sixteen. It's 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 we 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 got not the Wizard of Oz but Ozma at at eighteen. Yeah, that's the I, oldest I, I, book I, I, on the I, list, I, I, by the way. Misa, nineteen hundred. Mm-hmm. That's the oldest book, best book of all time on this it, list. It, wow. I, but th- but then I, I, but then he does throw a bone to what Marshall uh, Ryan Moresca calls the same five dudes. Nineteen is Jordan. Twenty no, is Sanders. You, you missed a, a word. White dudes. Same five white so, dudes. What, 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 no, I'm, I'm not, not what, what, what Mar- Marshall Sharmarishan was the same five dudes. Oh, okay. Yes, they're white. But yes, his, his phrasing is the same five right. dudes. So Brandon Sanderson, Robert Jordan. Robert Jordan, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and George R. R. Martin, I guess. George R. R. Martin, Joe Abercrombie. You can argue who fits who the some same of those five things. guys are. <laughs> But, 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 I mean, the canon of the same five guys is inconsistent. I, I, and probably Steven, er- Steven Erickson, because every because if you go into Reddit and re- try to recommend Ask About Fantasy, Malzahn fans will swarm you with like, you must read Malzahn! Wow. And, and George R. R. Martin is on here at number 35. So there you but go. But even Neil Gaiman's Stardust, is that really his best fantasy novel? Um, I don't hmm. think so. I, I haven't read yeah, that one, not. but I, 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 I've I read a lot of better. Gaiman. But, and... but, but there's some really interesting picks here that you would never think of um but it's a lie essentially yeah that's interesting i agree there's it should just not have been marketed this way and the reason we're talking about it is because it was marketed this way right i mean i mean to to get a paycheck from esquire he marketed it this way that's that's my thesis is that he's he's sacrificing sellout right he's he's sacrificing us and he's sacrificing himself for cash in which case i I, I don't trust your picks I, because I you're a liar up front. Um, <laughs> but but here's a here's an alternative explanation. Esquire specifically wanted him to have a uh, what you would consider a trolling list. They want for the clicks. I agree. I agree. That's uh, they, absolutely they possible. Said, okay, pick fifty recent books, and we'll call it the best, and we'll. We'll see, we'll see the clicks come in. Yeah, but it even says you know fifty of the best fantasy books, and then. Uh, it, it, it turns out they're all novels, right? Except for one, which is a short story collection. And the oldest one is 1900. It is the worst troll ever in the sense that he's just lying to us from the very get go. It's a shaggy dog story, except you find out just by looking at the pictures that clearly it's a, it's a lie right away. The, the banner showing all the cover art is very, very modern, right? 
Uh, you know, it's, it starts with Beowulf and Gilgamesh and George MacDonald. So the guy knows that there are older books that are uh, but, but, famous. But, but define what is a book. Indeed. Find, it's, it's, but he it's, it's says novels and then he adds – so everything is a troll about it. And yet it's being treated as not a troll. But, but that's not even trolling. People. That's even a matter of boundary definitions. A hundred percent. Do 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 I mean if fifty best fantasy works, do you stick to novels? Do you how do you compare how do you compare the ones who walk away from Omelus to Lord of the Rings? It doesn't it, say novels in the headline. No, right? no, but I'm talking about but says it in the body. About, if we're talking about fantasy canon and fantasy books, it's kinda I agree. A, Look, a, all of Robert E. Howard is ignored, right? Well, well, all of, all of uh, Lovecraft's oh, Dreamlands. He explains this, Jesse. He says, Does to he? keep this lineup manageable, we included books originally published, only included books published, originally published as bound books on paper, which right. were all classics like Journey to the West and uh, Thousand and One Nights. And, <laughs> yeah, that was on and Papyrus. Beowulf and the Torah and the New yeah. Testament. And because they're not uh, available on Papyrus on Amazon, where the affiliate links handily make us cash. Are there, how many public domain stories are in here? Just uh, well, just the Ozma would be, but I don't that's think anything else. That's probably the only one. Yeah, that's probably the only one that's public domain. The Japanese one, maybe no, the, the translator. Probably not. Almost the none of them are, are going to be public domain. Virtually nothing because it's so heavily skewed towards you know the present. And and every link is to to Amazon. Oh yes. Yeah. Well, if, uh, well, if, and there's Google ads too. So don't forget uh, that uh, yeah. affiliate links are a thing. I, yes, I, but I, 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 I don't see I don't see that as having influenced. His oh, dude. Oh, dude. Oh, dude. It hundred percent is. That, that, he, he didn't pick books because they're affiliate links. Dude, I could have made so much money on affiliate links when I had a blog that did reviews. Guess who I linked to? Publisher only. Only publisher. I'm not saying that's that's not a defensible or admirable position, but I mean. But so, the reason so, I did that is because it is the ethical thing to do. If you do it the other way, you're compromised. Mm. It's it's like having ads in your show on the news for Pfizer, right? And then you're talking about Pfizer on your news. It's it's a compromise for sure. Now the thing is, is nobody cares because it's it's books and everybody does it. Everybody's corrupt, right? So, why should we care? Why do we? Why should we care that the headline lies to us? <laughs> why you seem really hung up on that headline. Because it says the fifty best fantasy books of all time. You seem really hung up on the fact that you were lied to, Jesse. <laughs> yeah, I am. Don't lie to me. Uh, I mean, that's the thing, right? Is that it? Uh, that is the offense. It's not just, I'm a play nice guy. You can lie to my face and I won't call you on it. It's the other way around. If you lie to my face, I will call you on it. And I saw, this morning, I saw somebody else's much harsher take on it than what I did, calling the person names and such. Um, I think that those are probably true, but I don't have evidence for those names. You know, all I have is what is written here. I do not know Adam Morgan personally. I do not know that he is 100% uh, all of the things that he was uh, called. But what I do know is that he is a liar. Because he put his name to a lie. <laughs> and he seems to admit that he's a liar. You know? oh, 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 okay, let me put it this way. If he had not said on on uh, Twitter that, that he was basically was trolling, if he just presented this as the 50 best books and left it at that 
Would you say he's a liar 50, then? The 50 best books of all time? Yeah. Um, I would have said that uh, he needs to read more. <laughs> <laughs> but the, okay. but the, the thing is, is he acknowledges, right, in the opening that this is, oh, I, I, that my line was that it's 4,000 years old, but Epic of Gilgamesh is from 4,000 years ago, right? So uh, I'm just well, doing a little well, inference. Fantasy is a really hard question. I agree. Uh, Evan said Torah is fantasy, and I would say, how dare you, sir? You're impugning my people. <laughs> saying they're liars well, too. I know that's what I'm saying. How dare you, sir? But uh, I agree that it well, sure I reads like fantasy. Think, uh, romantic comedies are fantasy. Anything that ends with uh, true a couple right? getting married and happily ever after is everything. Fantasy. Jane Austen. <laughs> it's fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, um, Georgette Hare. Anybody you read any of her stuff? No, I'm just aware of Georgette Hare's stuff peripherally. I've never actually read any. Okay, of it. apparently uh, there was somebody making the case uh, on an alternate Twitter thread uh, about how she's bad, 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 and the reason she's bad is because she's she's not the uh, Ag- Agatha Christie of romance novels. She's the H.P. Lovecraft of romance novels. I'm like, what? <laughs> um, yes, I did see that Twitter thread too. And uh, I guess it's because uh, they're racist or something. Which mm-hmm. is interesting, but she, you know, Agatha Christie, uh, she's not exactly 100% anti-racist, I- but she is, uh, uh, foundational for the modern book, uh, detective story. She, it, it, she didn't invent it, but she sort of dominated it in the 20th century. She is like one of the most sold persons of all time. And Georgette Hare is somebody I've never read. Um, but there is a uh, a couple of audiobooks of the, her first novel on LibriVox, and I was just wondering if anybody had read it. Mysa, will you admit to have reading, having read a Georgette Hay? I'm sorry, I cannot admit to that. Damn it. Okay. Uh, Evan, I assume you haven't read any. No. No. Okay. Well, we need somebody who can tell me if I will like it. <laughs> because I don't want I'm to just guessing, read a racist book. I'm guessing book. no, but that's really just an air ball based on what I know of yeah. what she writes. That it's just not Jesse book, but you yeah, know, yeah. that's that's really just. But I, I no, I I'm interested in anything that's uh, super powerful. You know, something that can steamroll. Right, Stephen King is not my favorite writer, but he is a steamroller. Right, mm. he's knocking things down left and right. And no, no amount of uh, things that should cancel him can cancel him. <laughs> he just steamrolls right past all of it. <laughs> Even you know all the bad movies that come out with Stephen King's name. Oh yeah, I mean, it's all I over don't the know place. Why they keep it. Well, once in a while, there's a good one. Like Lisey's story was pretty good, and that's uh, a Netflix show, right? I don't think it's Netflix. I think it's Apple TV. Oh, or something. okay. Um, there, I mean, there hasn't been many. There's been a bunch of new adaptations, but they've all sort of sucked, uh, except for that one, I think. Hmm. Well, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Why do they keep doing maybe, it? Maybe Midnight Mass. That's Cash. Kind of, I've seen people yes. talk about this. Midnight Mass is the best Stephen King adaptation, but it's not a book based on it. It's that's, like that's an Salem's Lot it. done actually better. Yeah. Interesting. Well, um, I don't know. Uh, Evan said he would have nothing to say on our Westlake show. I don't have long. I need to go to bed early today. So let's start. Let's start. Let's let's get rolling. Uh, Paul, have you got a recorder going? 
I will get a recorder going forthwith. Just in case. Come on, thing. You can do it. Call him Nexus. Okay, we are, we are going. All right. Um, I have a physical copy of the story in front of me. And I'm ready to go. Jesse, Paul, uh, what was it Evan or Misa? Yeah. It must yeah, be Misa still, right? right? Really? Paul, you're supposed to know no. these things. It must Evan. be Evan. My name. It is Evan. Evan. Okay. I believe there Evan we go. Has passed there we go. At this point. Yep. Here we go.